Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Friday morning. Man, what a beautiful day here in the heart of Hamilton, Ohio. Sunshine, a little brisk in the air. Temperatures in the 30s after the 70s yesterday. We welcome you to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. And before we go any further, right in the chat, right from the get-go, Casey and Paul and Brandon, people wondering, is the building still erect here in Hamilton, Ohio? After yesterday's never-ending, seemingly never-ending, fire alarm up on the third floor. Yeah, well, luckily we are all still here. And I think, Tom, you made a good executive decision to end the show because the fire alarm kept going for a long time after you left yesterday. So, yeah, it would have been pretty much the rest of the show. Yeah, not good. Okay. Something about dust on the third floor or something. Okay. Well, they're redoing, you know, this building. The same guy owns it. I met him out in the parking lot a few weeks ago. Seems like a really pleasant guy. Owns a building across the street. A couple of others here and and, you know, stuff happens. Uh, we come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon. You can find us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We ask that you please subscribe to the program. We also stream on Facebook. That's a Chatterbox Sports page. You guys big Facebook guys? You're too young for Facebook, right? Uh, I have one and I check it, but I'm not like religious with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah I just, I don't like post anything or share anything. I just... But that's big for like the older crowd, like my age, right? Ex-professionals, things like that, retirees. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Like Facebook groups together, like people like you. We mean yeah. groups. Well, you know, you get together, like-minded people. On a, that's big, like on the Facebook groups. Yeah. Like-minded folks. What, what, what does that mean? Like-minded well, like, people. I mean, I thought you post like pictures of your family. Well, yeah, but like and... Facebook is great for like joining groups of, you know, you can join a, like if you're a Reds oh, fan. Oh, like a book club join. or something. Yeah. Or whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's right. good for, it's good for putting events together and getting groups of people together, I guess, but. Yeah, I don't really use it all that much. Pictures every once in a while. Yeah. I Keep mean, the family updated. Casey will be on that regularly in about the next eight to ten months. Mm, no. Take paternity leave. I might delete it. I don't know. I never use it. Take paternity leave? Yeah. Paternity I certainly leave. hope not. Whoa. You don't what want to be a dad? Well, what, do you, not, what does that mean? Not for a what while, man. you hope not? What would be wrong if all of a sudden your bride-to-be in June, uh, if, you know, 10, 11, 12 months later, here comes a little McAllister? What's wrong with that? (laughs) I'd like to enjoy being married and alone in the house for a while. Okay, that's fair. Not get to business right away. Like, Mm. come on. Okay. I would like to go travel the world a little bit. Maybe that's what I'll use my paternity leave on. Okay. Go see Europe or something. Okay. No, not with a kid. Okay. Yes, yes. If you care to join us in podcast form, you can just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. All right, let's start with college basketball. Tonight, the X-Men are back at it with a trip to Seton Hall. Pirates are 16-12 and 12 on the season. The two teams met all the way back five days before Christmas. Xavier won at the Centos Center 73-70. The Musketeers currently sit in a three-way tie for second place with Providence and Creighton, one game behind the conference leader Marquette. The Golden Eagles will play at DePaul on Saturday, so that's a layup. Creighton is at Villanova, not an easy game there. That's Saturday at noon. 
Providence is at Georgetown on Sunday. Should be a layup. Other local games to keep an eye on over the weekend right up the road. Doesn't get any bigger. They're already in, in tents outside of Millet Hall, I'm told. Most of the tents are green and white. As Miami will host not the Red Hot, but the White Hot Ohio University Bobcats. That's 1P tomorrow. Kentucky, our buddy Cal, he's got it going on. They will play at Rupp Arena against 19-9 Auburn. That is a big one. Northern Kentucky, in case he doesn't know this is an alum, but they're on the road at Oakland. Dayton hosts George Mason at UD Arena Saturday night. And on Sunday, the University of Cincinnati takes on Memphis down in Memphis. Top 25 action tomorrow. Number one, Houston on the road at East Carolina. Arkansas, number two, Alabama. Might be an interesting game there. Huggy Bear goes to third rank, Kansas. Number 17, Indiana. Looks for the season sweep at fifth rank, Purdue. A big one for North Carolina. Outside looking in right now, but the Tar Heels host sixth-ranked Virginia at the Dean Dome. Carolina needs that one in the worst sort of way. Big 12, number eight, Texas goes to number nine, Baylor. And number 15, St. Mary's plays at number 12, Gonzaga. Football news. Broncos head coach Sean Payton is hiring former Bronco head coach Vance Joseph as the team's new defensive coordinator. I tell you, I find that to be fascinating. I think it's a good thing for a lot of reasons. We'll get into that a little bit later. Aaron Rodgers is out of his four-day darkness retreat up in the Pacific Northwest. So now the Packers want to know, what's the deal? Does he want to come back to Green Bay? Does he want to retire? Or does he want to play somewhere else? Baseball news. The Reds open Cactus League play tomorrow in Goodyear, Arizona against the Cleveland Guardians. Bryce Harper is not expected to report to the Philadelphia Phillies camp until around March 8th, March 9th. He's still healing at his home in Las Vegas, although we understand he's swinging about out there on a daily basis after last year's elbow surgery that hurt him towards the end of the year. So, um, oh, and you can't forget about FC Cincinnati, Casey. You would have corrected me if I did. Absolutely, I would. FC kicks off its season this weekend at TQL Stadium, 7.30 p.m. Saturday night as the Houston Dynamo comes to town. Huge expectations. They're high. That's a stark contrast to last year's team when the season began. FC got to the Final Four last year. What does this season have in store for FC Cincinnati? Are you going to the game, Casey, Saturday night, yay or nay? Um, I think as of right now, it's a nay. I'm going to probably go and split in with someone for the MLS package so I can watch it. Um, but other than that, maybe I'll go to a, one of the FC bars and watch it that way for the first week. But FC bar? Yeah, where it's just a C FC Cincinnati They got some bar. joint right next to the stadium that they say is pretty good, the right? The pitch. The pitch. That's yeah. what that's a field in in football, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and so there's a bar right next to the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't been there yet. I'm I'm excited to maybe go check that out. Um, it's really dependent on what my fiance wants to do. She's not really wanting to go in bad weather, and uh, she's very eerie, weary, I should say, of 
first games for FCC just because of what happened last season. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with what happened last season. No, please fill me in. They went oh and they started the first game and went oh and five in that game. So they gave up five goals and that kind of just started the the president of what the rest of the season would be like um, as they climbed their way up and got into the playoffs that five goal differential really made a difference throughout the season um, and their standings and whatnot. So she just doesn't want to potentially see something as horrific as that happen again, have to deal with that. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm excited for this weekend. I don't think it's going to be like that. Uh, they're favored. FC is favored. Um, and last year they, the team itself, they really loved to draw. That was their yeah. kind of their shtick. They had like what seven, eight weeks where they just a lot. Kept, they didn't yeah. lose, but they, they never lost. Either. They didn't lose a lot, but they didn't win a lot either. They just yeah. continued to draw, draw, that draw. Famous draw. Yeah, that they have in that sport. Yes. Yeah. So I'm hoping. I mean, come on. I'm hoping that they can change some of those draws into wins and i'm excited for this team i mean bringing back all the core players pretty much and added a couple more depth pieces along the defensive side it's gonna be exciting causing a catastrophe in the chat says i'd rather watch paint dry well well then whatever you uh whatever okay, floats whatever your boat that's but. exactly right whatever floats your boat um uh, causing a catastrophe also says, uh, Paul, he likes the hoodie. What, 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 what's on the logo there? What is that thing? It's a little, uh, it's a little Colorado logo. It's a little col the state of Colorado. State of Colorado? Yeah, I won, I won this hoodie. What, uh, in the next game? Did you hit a half-court shot ago. or something? They I'm gave away to, Colorado hoodies? I'm trying to remember. I won it a couple years ago. But, yeah, it's a nice hoodie. I always wear it on the cold. You know that if I'm wearing this hoodie, it's a cold day because – it's the warmest hoodie that I have. So if, if you see me wearing this, it's because it's cold outside or maybe cold in the studio. We never know if it's going to be an iceberg in here, if the heat's going to be working like it is now. Kind of a mixed bag today. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is chilly outside. But the heat's working. It is and working. The heat works nicely in here when it, when it works. And we know the fire alarms work. We do. <laughs> uh, big weekend of college basketball. Last big weekend. Uh, 1030 today, we're going to talk Bengals with James Rapine about, you know, we haven't heard much. been pretty quiet. Uh, the Combine starts next week. Tuesday. That's a big deal. Um, shortly thereafter, you have um, where teams... Right now, you're already in the open period where teams can franchise, guys. A lot of talk about Lamar Jackson. We'll get into that later today. Um, and what the Ravens are going to do with him. So James Rapine will be coming on today at 10.30. So, Paul, let's get right to it. Uh, yeah. The first game between Xavier and Seton Hall was a good game. Yeah. At least the final score was. Yeah, it was, no, it was a very good game, 73-70. to 70. Uh, Zach Fremantle, this goes back to what Xavier did against Villanova the other day. Zach Fremantle was the leading scorer the first time Xavier played Villanova. Xavier won that game. Zach Fremantle was the leading scorer the first time that Xavier and Seton Hall played. He will not probably be playing tonight, so... 
Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a pretty big one for Xavier to try and get back on the right track, try and generate some positive momentum here going forward over the next week and a half. This is the last full weekend of regular season college basketball. The regular season will still be going on next Saturday, but conference tournaments, it's mid-major week next week. So all the conference tournaments, the Atlantic Sun's first round of their tournament is, is Monday. Some team will what play. Is, what, what conference did you just Atlantic say? Sun. Who is in the Atlantic? Atlantic Just give me Sun. two teams that Li- are in the Atlantic. Li- Liberty and Stetson. Liberty, Lynchburg, Virginia. Liberty's Jerry Falwell. Yep, Liberty's in the uh, Atlantic Sun. Kennesaw State, Eastern Kentucky. There you Lip- go. Lipscomb, all those guys. Bellarmine, that's all. They're all Atlantic Sun. Beautiful little campus down there in Bellarmine. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean they had Atlantic Sun goes. I mean from Liberty. I mean you're down in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida Gulf Coast. That's all those teams. So anyway, Florida they Gulf Coast. Okay. Yeah. So they, right. the point is. They start on Monday. They start their conference tournament. So you're going to start to see some of that crop up next week. There is regular season college basketball next week. Most of the teams in this area will still be playing in the regular season. The one exception there is NKU. Northern Kentucky got a huge win last night. Uh, They clinched a first-round bye in the Horizon League tournament. Nice. They will be playing at home. Casey, I know you'll be there next Thursday. I'm going to go, I think, next Thursday night, 7 o'clock. First round of the Horizon League tournament is at home. That's how they do it in the Horizon League. They don't play it at a neutral site in the first round. They play it at home home sites um, until they get to the semis. And I think the MAC does that too. I think well, I they used to. Yeah, but then uh, they then when they get down to whatever they, number it is, they go to Cleveland. They moved it to Cleveland. Yeah, because uh, only eight teams make the MAC tournament. So, and that's a big one for. Miami. Miami's trying to scrap and see if they can. No, it ain't happening tomorrow. I thought maybe you'd have a welcome. It ain't happening tomorrow. thought maybe you'd have a welcoming committee. Ohio's staying right down the road. You could walk to their hotel. I might go down there. Maybe have some banners. Absolutely. I could see that. I could see it. Or maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. I could see it. Um, Anyway, yeah. So, Northern Kentucky clinched the first round by. They'll play. They got a great win last night. Um, They played Detroit. Antoine Davis, who, who... Place for Detroit. He's he's creeping up on Pistol Pete Maravich's all-time scoring record for college basketball. I don't know if he's going to get there, but he's going to be real close. Um, so that's right around the corner. Xavier tonight, and then UC has a huge one against Memphis, uh, trying to play for seeding. I think UC is pretty much locked into the four seed in the AAC tournament. They need a lot to go right. They're not actually locked in, but they'd have to win out and get some help too. Um, well, last night Memphis was down for quite a while in yeah. that game. And so they were hoping, obviously, Memphis would lose that game. UC goes down, beats them on Sunday. Didn't happen. Uh, Memphis wound up beating Wichita State last night. Yeah. Uh, so, Xavier tonight, yeah, it's it's a big one because they have three games left. They play at Seton Hall tonight, at Providence on Wednesday, then back home against Butler next Saturday night for senior night. I've been saying that this is a really, really big game for Xavier. This is a big stretch for Xavier to be able to put some – Good performances together, even without Zach Fremantle, because the other flip side of this coin is you have Xavier Creighton and Providence right now, three teams competing for two spots at Madison Square Garden in that night session on Thursday night to play for the two and three seeds because the four seed, the odd one out of that group, is probably going to play at 2.30 on Thursday afternoon against UConn. And I think the last thing you want to do right now is play UConn at 2.30 in that game. I, I know I might be on an island with that take amongst the Xavier community because Xavier beat UConn twice this year already. And they, UConn honestly is a pretty good matchup for Xavier, but um, that is with Zach Fremantle in the lineup. Who knows where he'll be or what his status would be at that point. So if you're Xavier, to me, you'd want to play in that night session, try and get the two or three seed in the tournament. Um, and a, a huge way to do that would be 
winning tonight at Seton Hall. And then if Xavier wins tonight at Seton Hall, I would think that most Xavier fans would probably be pretty big Villanova fans tomorrow to beat Creighton. That would do wonders for Xavier to play on Thursday night there. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that's going to be decided here over the next 36 hours um, as far as what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks of the season. But it, it is a absolutely massive Saturday of college basketball Yes, tomorrow. it is. I mean, there is just starting at noon. The 2 o'clock window is great. Texas and Baylor play. Um, St. Mary's and Gonzaga play at 10 o'clock. Uh, San Diego State plays at 10 o'clock at New Mexico. That's a great environment. I mean, they're, they're from noon till midnight tomorrow. There is All right, which begs great, the question. Great games. Because I know the answer for Casey is no. But it begs the question, will you be sitting tomorrow? Okay, I, let me check here something real quick. I want to check the weather for tomorrow here. Okay? Okay. So the weather tomorrow in Hamilton, Ohio, 51 degrees, partly sunny. Yes. Right? Nice day. Yes. Okay. It's going to be crisp in the morning, but it's going to be a nice day. Will you be sitting in front of a television, starting with the, the college basketball equivalent of game day? Yes. Right? Yeah. Whenever that starts, 11 o'clock, I don't know. I'll save you your breath. Will I- you be sitting in front of your television from... The time you get up basically tomorrow, you get a little breakfast, hang out with your girlfriend, whatever you do, will you then be sitting there all the way through the St. Mary's-Gonzaga game that comes on at 10 o'clock? So that means roughly 12.15 a Sunday morning. I would, except that I have a broadcast at 2 p.m. So there's a, there's a little lull, but I'll see the, the, <laughs> I'll see the noon games and I'll come back around the – the five o'clock window, but yeah, the the there I I got a broadcast it too. Got to do the the last Xavier women's game of the season tomorrow. So now, are they going to the postseason somewhere or no? The Xavier women? Yeah. No, they are not. They're not. They'll play in the Big East tournament. Well, of course. And where do they play that? They played at Mohegan Sun out of UConn. Okay. It's not right. I, it's not UConn's home arena, but Mohegan are Sun you going to is. that? No, I will not. That's next week. You going to the men's tournament? I will be at the men's tournament. Okay. Yes. All right. Um. Ronnie Smith says, Xavier, you better win this one and stay away, as you just pointed out. Stay away from UConn. But, but real quick, before James Rafink, I, I want to get back to the, uh, the, the, the Xavier-Seton Hall game tonight. Sure. All right, 73-70 to 70 the first time they played. I mean, that's a lifetime ago. It is. I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent for either team. Clearly, Fremantle was playing then. He's not playing now. We know that. Uh, teams change over the course of a season. But, I mean, if there are two or three things you're going to keep an eye on tonight, the difference between winning and losing, they would be? Well, I would I would say, again, down the depth for Xavier. What are they going to be able to do? Can they overcome again without Zach Fremantle being there? Can they go on the road? Can they get a game like this? This is a Pirates team that has been hurt a little bit this year, especially lately. Kadari Richmond, one of their better players, um, has been hurt. I don't know his status tonight. I was trying to look it up just now uh, to see if he was going to to play. Um, if Kadari Richmond can't play, that would be a bigger loss in my mind for Seton Hall than it would be for Xavier to not have Zach Fremantle. That would kind of balance the scales there. If Richmond does play, that becomes a much tougher matchup for Xavier. If he doesn't play, I'd feel a lot better about Xavier's chances in this one. I think it's a very close game. I think it might not, again, be as high scoring of a game as you might think. And Xavier, you know, we, we talk so much about 
the first two and a half, three months of the season where Xavier got off the bus and scored 75 points. Well, and you and, and I talked about this, and you got into it with me a little bit about, hey, they're scoring, they're third in the country, whatever it yeah. is. Now they're not scoring as much, but they're playing better defense. They are. Yeah, the, the defense has picked up a lot lately, and they've played three of their last four games in the 60s. But Xavier is coming off a game against Villanova that was their lowest scoring game of the season, 63 points. And in three of the last four games, they haven't scored 70. So if you're Well, Z- but that's Fremantle. A, a uh, lot of it. it yeah. I, I'm just saying that, that now you're starting to see can Xavier win a game in a, in a different style instead of just going out and simply outscoring the other team, which was for a lot of the early part of the season, it was, well, if we're not going to defend you, we'll just straight up outscore you. And it worked. Very well. They started seven and zero in the Big East, nine and one, eleven and two in the Big East, and now it's it's caught up to them. And you know, without Fremantle, they've lost three of their last four games by a combined four points. So you'd have to think they would have at least won at least one or two of those if he was in the lineup. So um, it's a tough stretch, but this is a big one. It's I, if they if they lose this game. It's a quad three loss. If they win this game, it's sort of like, all right, you survived. Can you get to next week against Providence and roll the dice and see what happens on the road? Two and one, the rest of the way would do wonders for Xavier. Okay, so you're saying, if I hear you right, you're saying if they go two and one over these final three games, Seton Hall on the road, Providence on the road, Butler at home. If they go two and one, you think they stay away from UConn? I think so. You think? I think think so there's okay. still a pretty realistic world where they get UConn at two and one um, three and0 would really be the only way they, they control whether they can avoid UConn or not um, and, and again I, I know that there might be some Xavier fans that are listening that say Paul you're out of your mind Xavier handled UConn pretty easily the first two times they play I know the second game got close but that was because it got out of hand in the second half the the difference is that you just don't know if Zach Fremantle is going to play and he was a big reason in those first two wins why Xavier was yeah. able to win those games so if he can't play, then all of a sudden you find yourself thinking, okay, wait, we got to go basically play a road game at Madison Square Garden against UConn. That's not a situation I would want to set myself up for, but I can see where a lot of Xavier fans would be okay with it just because of the matchup. I think that Xavier does win a very close one tonight on the road, leaning to the fact that Kadari Richmond for Seton Hall is not 100%. So that's, that's my pick, okay. but I think it'll be a very good close game. Okay. Um, there's lots of, of things to talk about uh, after we have James Rapine on coming up here in just a matter of minutes. Uh, we're going to talk about everything that's the, the Bengals. But there's a lot of uh, NFL talk um, mentioned that Lamar Jackson um, and all of the different possibilities that are out there uh, as far as what the Ravens are going to do with him. You may have seen uh, where they hired Todd Munkin they, they brought him from uh, the University of Georgia after winning back-to-back national championships. He's had a lot of experience in the NFL game, so the pro game is nothing new to him. Uh, at his uh, introductory press conference the other day, uh, Munkin was asked about Lamar Jackson. And, you know, when do you need him in? Is he going to show up, you know, once the draft is over and they bring in OTAs? Is he going to show up? Um, you know, say he's franchise tagged. Is he going to show up? Uh, Jesse Bates, you may remember, uh, was franchised and, um, you know, came in late. 
And Munkin had said, hey, look, you know, this guy, he, 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 you know, I'm not worried about it. He can show up a week before and everything's fine. Now, I've never played quarterback in the NFL. I've never been an offensive coordinator in the NFL and never will be either one of those things. But it seems to me if you're putting in an entirely new offense, okay, um, and new uh, verbiage and all those kinds of things, and Lamar Jackson's been around the block. I mean, he's been an MVP. Um, but it just seems to me that, you know, that, that there's one layer upon another layer of this whole sort of thing. And this one is yet another one when it comes to him. Is, you know, okay, the, the contract part is the biggest part, without a doubt. Are they going to tag him? Is it an exclusive tag? Is it a non-exclusive tag? Where that means another team could match that offer. But then there would be demands that would be put in place by the virtue of that, which I think is two first-round draft picks. If they sign him to a non-exclusive or to an exclusive tag, okay, tag him exclusively, that means if another team wants to trade for him, that the Ravens now dictate what would be uh, in return for a trade. So it could be three first-round draft picks, two first and two second, whatever the case may be, right? And now you add in, Casey, and you're a big, uh, big Lamar Jackson guy. You always have been. You mix in now the fact that, you know, it's a brand new offense. This isn't Greg Roman's offense anymore that you know, he's played for his entire career. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, this is what I think the Ravens should do, and this is what I think Lamar should do. I'm going to break it down that way. The Ravens... In my opinion, if they were smart and they could they could get a team to bite on a trade, I think that's what they should do. They should try to sign Lamar and then trade him away, get those picks, because the Ravens are really, really <laughs> talented. I mean, they their GM, uh, I can't remember, Ozzy, was Ozzy used to used to be the GM, yeah, and now they got an, yep. another yep. guy in there. He did a fantastic job, I thought, last season. Um, I know they had a lot of guys drop to them that were um, notable, but they've been very, very good, in my opinion, at drafting. And I would roll the dice on doing that and building a team around a rookie quarterback because that's just how teams have been able to find success. The outlier is a Patrick Mahomes, you know, a lot of these teams that win a Super Bowl and continue to have success either are Tom Brady or they have a quarterback on a rookie deal. So my opinion for the Ravens is to sign trade and you get a lot back for Lamar Jackson. He's only 25 MVP caliber type quarterback. Um, and the reason why you trade him is because the team itself, if they sign Lamar to what he wants, will fall apart. They can't keep all the guys together. Um, it's kind of the same narrative that Joe Burrow, if they sign Joe Burrow, we aren't, we aren't going to be able to Well, it's together, a little bit but... different in Burrow's case because Burrow is not looking, at least we don't think so, and we'll ask James Rapine this here in a second. But Lamar is asking for all guaranteed cash. Right. That's a big difference. Then, you know, layering the thing, 
big signing bonus. When does the big money kick into gear? If you sign Lamar to that guaranteed deal, the big money kicks in right now. Right. And it's all got to be escrowed. Like you're looking at other contracts, other players that also want high guarantees. It's going to be really tough for the Ravens to be able to supply that um, when you've got a large contract like Lamar's, or at least what he's asking for. Um, it To me, I am not a fan of losing players because of a contract. To me, that just... As a fan, I should say, as a fan and as an owner, if I strap myself down to a quarterback that I am not 100% sure can win me a Super Bowl, then what am I doing? And it's quite obvious to me that they are just not committed to Lamar because they don't know if he can win. They don't know if he can stay healthy. They don't know if he can still be the same MVP-type quarterback because he's never put up the same numbers that he did on that MVP season. Well, he, he was off to a really good start two years ago. And then this, this year was a weird year for him. It was a really weird year. He was the AFC Player of the Month in September. Right. He did something that had never been done in the history of the league, where he threw for over 300 yards, two or three touchdowns, rushed for over 100 yards in multiple games. I mean, he was the best player in the NFL in the month of September. Better than everybody. Right. Every but, better than Jalen Hurts, better, certainly better than Joe Burrow, better than uh, Patrick Mahomes. He, he was the best player in the league. But then all of a sudden, you know, he goes through the worst run of his career. This is all before he got hurt in week 13 against Denver. He goes through the worst run of his career. He throws seven touchdowns over like a four-game span. He throws five picks. All of a sudden, he goes from being this jovial, happy sideline guy, pumping up his teammates, bringing them water, all this sort of thing. And now all of a sudden starts to go down the rabbit hole. And because things aren't going well for him. And then, you, you know, you, you start to kind of swing back up and then bam, the injury happens. And, and we haven't even gotten to, which we will later. We'll, we'll talk about it after James Rapine comes on. Then you get into how polluted are the waters and we're not talking about East Palestine, Ohio. How polluted are the waters with Lamar Jackson and some of his teammates? Now, he's had Calais Campbell uh, go to bat for him big time. And Calais Campbell is a guy who you have to have incredible respect for. He's been a great player, 14 years, something like that. He's on the NFL PA board. He's very smart. Uh, he's well thought of, has interesting things to say. There's a lot of depth to a lot of the things he has to say. And he's been a, one of the guys that's really stepped up in defense of Lamar Jackson. Now, there have been other guys that haven't walked that line. Nobody's buried him. But you just wonder at the end of the day, him simply not showing up for playoff game here in Cincinnati. He didn't even get on the plane and come to town to be on the sideline to root for his teammates. Now, you know, a lot of those guys may not think that's a big deal. If I were John Harbaugh, I think that's a big deal. Is James ready to go? Uh, yes, but before James gets on here, I just want to also quickly say the thing that Lamar should do is hold out. 
because what have the Ravens really done to prop his career up? They get rid of one of his best receivers. They continually add to the defense and leave him to carry the offense. And then they don't, in turn, give him a contract that says, yeah, we believe in you. I think both both sides are are doing their best to get the best outcome. And I think Lamar, honestly, would be better off seeing if he can prove it in a different offense anyways with weapons because the whole time, the whole discussion has been, is he a thrower? Is Can he win you a, a playoff game? Well, you haven't really done the best job at giving him the talent to surround him with that's fair enough. since that MVP season. And that's all I'll say about that. And um, I'll get James ready here. All right. In a let, let you let me know when James Rapine is ready to go. It's been a while since we've seen James Rapine. I'm hoping he's gotten a little bit of a break, although I'm not so sure that's the case with, uh, we mentioned earlier, the combine coming up, um, you know, free agency coming up. You got the draft shortly after that. So, you know, football has turned into even much more so than baseball ever was. But there was a time when baseball during the offseason, the hot stove league, all that stuff, you know, really dominated a lot of the uh, offseason sort of business of the game. Now it's football, football, football all the time. So, James Rapine, um, how is everything going? Fatherhood, the most important stuff (laughs) before we get to anything else. How's everything going? Things are going great. Yeah, certainly no complaints here. You're right. I've, I've tried to rest up a little bit, enjoy this time. But um, next week is the Combine. So ready or not, the offseason's here. Do you go to the Combine? Are media members allowed to go to the – I know it's televised and it's a big, big deal on the NFL Network. But do you go? I'll be there. I, I won't be – I probably won't even go into Lucas Oil itself to, to watch the – the guys run around and all of those things, but I'll, I'll be at the convention center across the street and talking with, you know, Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor scheduled to talk. Some of the other Bengals coaches will talk. So it, it's good to talk to them and other people across the league. So that's what, what you go for. So yeah, I'll be there next week. You know, walk me through or some of the people at home. I've never been to a combine, uh, called a lot of NFL games, but never been to a combine. I'm just kind of curious, paint a picture for me when you talk about this convention center. So I'm assuming all the, the, the personnel from the teams, Maybe not the players. Maybe it is the players. All stay in the same hotel. So after guys go through, um, you know, the, the, the combine, the lifting on a daily basis, so their 40-yard dash, all that kind of stuff, is it a situation where Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin, do they comment about certain players as you go along, or that's not really the deal? No, they're going to talk actually at the beginning of the week. So they'll, they'll talk. We'll hear from them on Tuesday afternoon. And uh, I'll obviously take video of that and have that. And it's um, it's interesting because you get to pick Duke Tobin's brain. Uh, you know, we, we get to talk to him a few times a year, pick his brain on how he thought the season went, weaknesses, uh, where they're they're looking to address, what he thinks of this draft class initially. And, you know, you might get something out of him here and there. And uh, at the same time, the players get to talk and uh, th- they usually talk before a lot of their workouts. So it's not like a player will run a 40-yard dash and then go over and, and talk to us and answer a bunch of questions. Usually they're podium times, and they're the, the bigger-name players that have podium times, but they'll, they'll happen before their workouts. But the, the weigh-ins and stuff happen one day, and then you'll have you know the 40-yard dash and all of those things. But uh, like I said, I, 
I can see all of that. All of that is just as easy to see on TV and, mm -hmm. and go online and see the numbers. But the the social part of it and interacting in person with, with some of these different league executives, coaches across the league, obviously Bengals uh, coaches and staff mostly, but uh, others as well. That's uh, the really important part of going to the combine, I'd say. Do the Bengals bring their entire coaching staff or, or at least the guys who, you know, like Frank Pollock or, you know, um, um, uh, Lou Anarumo or Brian mm -hmm. Kelly? Are all those guys there? Yep. 100% they're there. And um, hoping to hear from all of them next week and, and talk to them because there's a lot of questions, right, uh, about the state of the offensive line again, about this defense and all the, the moving pieces that could take place next next month in free agency and and then obviously uh whether it's the draft or, or anything like that in between so yeah hoping to talk to all three of those guys and, and darren simmons throw him into the mix as well okay I, but before we get to the Bengals stuff i want to ask just your thoughts and your impressions on what's going on uh in baltimore we talked a lot about mm -hmm. it during the year uh with lamar jackson uh now it's you know basically time to put up or shut up on both sides he's negotiating his own contract he's his own agent along with his mother. Uh, he wants a guaranteed deal, which a lot of people around the league feel like the Deshaun Watson deal was an outlier compared to what most other contracts are going to look like, specifically Joe Burrow uh, and uh, Justin Herbert. Ultimately, what do you think happens with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson? I think the Ravens certainly tag him. And, you know, that seems inevitable. They're not going to just let him walk and go into free agency. I think they should really do sort of what the, the Texans did, which I know it's a completely different situation with the off-the-field stuff. But the reason Deshaun Watson got a fully guaranteed contract, it's not because Deshaun Watson, part of it had to do with his, his skills, but it had to do with the demand. There were multiple teams that were in on him, and the Browns had lost. They, he was not going to Cleveland. He was going to Atlanta. And that was going to happen. And the Browns called and said, all right, what do we have to do to, to pull off the upset and get back in this race? So if you're Lamar, if you truly want a fully guaranteed contract, the only way to do it is to force your way out. Because the, the Ravens, I would be shocked if they did it. And so you want to force a bidding war. And maybe it's the Panthers bidding against this team and that team. And heck, the Falcons could certainly be in the mix again. Mm -hmm. And, and then if that happens, I think a team would step up to the plate and say, you know what, one of the most electrifying players in the league, let's do it. So that's where I think he could get his fully guaranteed do dollars. Now, what happens? I think the Ravens would have to be overwhelmed by an offer to give up a talent like Lamar Jackson. He doesn't grow on trees. And I am curious to see what he would look like with actual high-end wide receiver talent because he's had other weapons. Mark Andrews is one of the best tight ends in the NFL. They've, they've had some pretty good running backs over the years, but high-end receivers around him. And I wonder if that's why the Ravens hired Todd Monken is, is to do that. That said, it feels like they're they're kind of apart. Would not shock me if, if Lamar is playing elsewhere next season. And if he's going to get a fully guaranteed contract, it's going to be because there's multiple bidders and someone says, you know what, let's just do it. Let's give up the draft equity that it's going to take, all those assets that it's going to take to get him and give him top dollar to, to get him to our team. So we'll see if that happens. I certainly don't see the Ravens doing that, though. All right, let me ask you this, though, okay, because uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Bengals and signing Burrow to a long-term contract. The bottom line is they don't have to do it this offseason. They don't have to. Mm -hmm. 
if it gets yep. done, it gets done. I think everybody would feel good about it getting done because then you would know exactly where you are from a fiscal standpoint moving forward. We'll get to all that here in a second. But if you were Joe Burrow's agent, would you wait around to see how this whole Lamar Jackson thing plays out? No. No, I, I wouldn't. I would. And, and maybe, maybe if you, you want to go that route and try to get every last penny, I just don't think that's what the client, Joe Burrow, I don't think that's what he would say. And I think he wants to get this done because the quicker he gets this done, the quicker you can focus on football and be a half a billionaire. And to me, the question is, how many years is it? Is he only asking for four and saying, I only want to sign a four-year deal so he can test free agency again sooner rather than later? That would make it tough on the Bengals for sure. Or is he open to an eight-year extension, a seven-year extension, where you know you add on that rookie year that, that he still has one more year on his rookie deal, then the fifth-year option, then seven more years, let's say, so nine years under contract. That's the way the Bengals should want to structure this. So it's interesting. It certainly is. And if you go that route, the Bengals could give him more guaranteed money than what Lamar is asking for, what Deshaun Watson got even if it wasn't a fully guaranteed contract, because it would be such a big deal that if you're guaranteeing $245 million, which is more than Watson, then he feels good because he has the most guaranteed money in the history of the league and is resets the quarterback market. At the same time, the Bengals don't have to put all of it into escrow and uh, because that would be a heck of a lot of money to do that. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what, what happens. I do think a deal gets done if I had to guess. And... The Lamar situation is just really unique without a, a, a full-time traditional agent in his corner. Obviously, he, he has a different style of play. He's been injured in recent years. It's not yep. just one injury like Burrow. So that, that's a, a pretty unique situation. I, I think that the Burrow contract gets done maybe before the Lamar one, to be honest with you. Well, you know, I mean, I just look at the whole thing, and I was bringing it up before you came on about, you know, I, I just wonder – uh, you look at Burrow, everybody loves the guy, ultimate team guy. He's in it to try and win games. I'm not suggesting that, that Lamar Jackson's not in it to win games. But, 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 but nobody can make me believe, uh, as I made reference to a minute ago, that, that, that the waters have not been polluted to some extent. Now, how great yeah. or little that is, I don't know. Only those in the Ravens' uh, locker room would know. Uh, but by him just not even coming to the playoff game, physically getting on the plane, yeah and coming here to yep. Cincinnati to cheer on his teammates. To me, that screams of a guy where it's all about me and not all about us. And that's the argument, the, the pollution in the waters, as you, you put it, to get Burroughs' deal done now. The last thing you want is him to go into year four, the last year of his rookie deal, and they'll exercise the fifth-year option regardless. So that's going to be exercised. It's like $29 million. So he'll be under contract for the next two years regardless. But you don't want that to be a, a topic or a discussion or something that we're asking Burrow during the season. And when that lingers and that's hanging over your head as an organization, when he's the face of the franchise, the most important person in the building, and that's exactly what Burrow is every time he walks into Paycor Stadium, then it, it does make it a little harder to operate business as usual. So I think that's the Lamar situation is just another reason why you get it done. Burrow's obviously been that dude that uh, you, you dreamed he would be and mm -hmm. you hoped he would be 
when, when you drafted him with the first pick in 2020. And so you might as well reward him for it and get a deal done this offseason. Did I lose uh, James here? may have uh, messed up my headset uh-oh now there i have to go. fill time there we go there we go i have to go. fill time that's all right i was ready to go i well believe me i know you're ready to go you ought to take over this show i mean hell the ratings no would go right through the roof uh instead of me taking them right down in the tank much like my career uh, but 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 no let me ask you now okay um let, let's zero in now for a second I, you, know, you know what before we go any further and i don't want to take up all your day but, but, but help me and a lot of the fans understand this one simple question, okay? If you signed, and let's just pick a random number. If you signed, as you suggested, Joe Burrow to a seven-year extension for $250 million, okay? All right, let's just some random number. The Bengals would do that right now. <laughs> okay, okay. But that would I, be a steal. I, I just want you to help me, though, with, with how this sort of salary cap hit works because it's yeah. really interesting, you know, the, the comments that were made by the Buffalo general manager uh, about the Bengals on how they had Burrow on a rookie deal and Chase on a rookie deal. And then last year was the first year, the big contract money on a salary basis to the salary cap hit for Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. So... Um, if you sign a guy to a contract, say it's $250 million, and you give him a $150 million signing bonus. I'm just picking a number, okay? It might be ridiculous. Oh. So now, or say $100 million, okay? So now you got $150 million spread out over the next seven years, okay? Like Patrick Mahomes signed, I think it was a 10-year deal. How much actually, if you guarantee more, does that make the or the signing bonus more, does that mean your salary cap hit on a, sal uh, on a yearly basis is significantly less? Does that make sense, that it. question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could lighten it, right? So if they wanted to go higher signing bonus this year, you could go that route, and it wouldn't impact the cap this year as much, but it would give Joe Burrow cash up front. Now, the, the hard part about doing that is it's cash, right? So let's say, let's go a little more realistic. Let's say it's $60 million guaranteed this year, uh, or guaranteed uh, in a signing bonus this year. Well, you, you do that, and it won't apply to the cap this year, but it might raise, you know, his, his cap number might go up 4 or $5 million, which would still be a steal for what their, his cap, I think it's 12 million bucks or something like that. So it would be 17 million in 2023. You would sign up for that all day long, but it would also lighten the load in the future and get Burrow some cash up front, which, I mean, $60 million just going directly in the bank. Yeah. The, the challenging part of that is, so let's say, let's say it's $60 million in bonus money. So that's money instantly. And, and you could break it up you know, into five payments or six payments or whatever it is from the Bengals. But that's money that they have to have on hand to give to him over the, the next few months. Right. And then you, you look at that, that guaranteed amount that guaranteed amount then needs to be put in the, into an escrow account. So it's a lot of cash on hand that you would need. I think they have it. I mean, there, there's a lot of sponsorships that weren't there a few years ago, Tom, as you know, from Paycor Stadium to every gate being sponsored to uh, a featured wine of the Bengals and, and all of these different things. So uh, there's a reason they've done that. It's to generate the, the cash flow necessary to keep the, this uh, trio, the star trio together. And obviously Burrow leads the way there. So. Yes, they would just need a lot of cash to do that, but it's certainly something 
you you look at because it's going to take some pressure off of future years and in that cap number it's going to get joe burrow some cash up front and it might be enticing enough for him to agree to a longer term deal if you are willing to give a more guaranteed money and more of a a signing bonus up front all right let's shift gears now real quick to uh the no, no, let's shift gears to t higgins been a lot of talk about, I mean, all of a sudden, I don't know where this stuff comes from, and maybe it's just guys throwing stuff against the wall and see what'll stick. But all of a sudden here, the last few days, you're hearing stories about the Bengals doing what you're suggesting or, or some are suggesting doing with Lamar Jackson. Tag him, trade him. You think that happens? Well, he's under contract for another year for $4 million bucks, And it's, some people, I think, forget that. So T. Higgins is going to be a Bengal in 2023. I would be shocked if anything else happened besides that. Part of that has to do with, I don't think this is a great wide receiver class. I don't think that there are any clear-cut, obvious, oh, well, you could just sign this guy in free agency and add a, a draft pick or two to replace Higgins. I don't see a, a T. Higgins out there. So could a team make an overwhelming offer? They could. I just think that the Bengals, and you know Mike Brown, he's going to look at it and say, oh, well, if you're willing to pay that much for T, why would we give him up? They know how valuable he is. Joe Burrow knows how valuable he is. And so I, I think they try to get a long-term deal done. And he's interesting because he has the same agent as David or David Mulligetta, same agent as Jesse Bates. So you, you know it's going to be a tough negotiation. At the same time, it's not like he's 26 years old. He's uh, at the age now, 23, 23? Might be 24 now. He might have just turned 24. Either way, I think he's 24. Either way, though, he could play out a, an extension and still get another long-term big contract at 28 years old. So I think if you could sign him to a three, four-year extension, you try to do it this offseason. And I think that's what the Bengals are going to do, or try to do at least, is pursue that versus trading him to the Bears. Or I, I saw someone throw out there trading him to the Lions. I don't yeah, know Lions, why the yeah. Lions would do that. Jamison Williams would have to be in that deal, plus a first, plus a lot more. I think for the Bengals to really consider it, um, okay, which so, won't happen. It's just unrealistic. That right, asking right. price would be too high. Right, right. Um, okay, so the draft, and you always get back to this whole thing about do you draft the best talent, right? The best player on the board, however you have them ranked, whoever's out there. I mean, if if Michael Mayer is there, okay, you take Jackson Smith and Jigba, okay, you know, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, right? What do you? I like think? the sound of that. Weapons well, on weapons. Go well, ahead. there's no doubt about it. And and and, and but <laughs> but we also, as you pointed out earlier, the offensive line. Uh, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. what kind of player you'd get with a 28th pick. I don't know if you consider trading up to try and and find a tackle that you thought you were getting in Jonah Williams four years ago. What do you think they do with the 28th pick? I think they're wide open, and that's what's fun about these debates is is people feel really strongly about, oh, they should go this route or that route, or you really have to keep an open mind when you're drafting 28th overall. And it's tough. It it isn't as simple as Jamar Chase versus Penny Sewell. They're both probably going to be their fifth overall, right? It it gets much more challenging. And and we saw that last year. And to me, it's hard to take a, a really tough stance and hard stance on take this guy, not this guy, because you don't know if they're going to be there. I did it last year with Tyler Linderbaum. I said, if he's there, take him. They wouldn't have taken him, by the way. I don't think they would have taken him. The center, who ultimately went to the Ravens 25th overall, I believe it was, before the Bengals were on the clock. So this year, I always lean, especially this late in the first round, best player available. So what does that mean? 
there are offensive line issues, address them, especially right tackle, find a bare minimum stopgap in free agency. So if the right tackle isn't on the board when you have to draft, you don't feel the need to, to force it. And when you're forcing a pick or you're reaching for need or you're not taking the best player available, I think you're more likely to pick an inferior player, a player that doesn't end up working out. And the Bengals need to address their offensive line, there's no doubt. So I would do that in free agency. It doesn't have to be a huge big money guy like Mike McGlinchey. Maybe it is. But, but someone that can come in at right tackle and play as Lyle Collins still recovers, if Lyle's on the roster, who knows, right, what happens there. But position-wise, I think almost anything's on the table. You know, could Smith and Jigba be a guy that they look at like, man, can you imagine him in the slot alongside T. Higgins and Jamar Chase? I think they would be open to that if he was there. Could uh, Michael Mayer, like you mentioned, Dalton Kincaid, there's a bunch of different tight ends mm -hmm. that, that could be there. That, that would pique their interest. Absolutely. B. John Robinson, the running back out of Texas. Yep. I think if he's available, the Bengals would look at that and say, well, he's the 11th best player on our board, and we're drafting 28th. I don't think he'll be there, but if he is, I think they'll be tempted because the odds are that he would be the top player on their board. So you could sell me on corner, defensive lineman, offensive lineman, weapon on offense. Outside of quarterback and, what, punter? There, there isn't much that, that would surprise me as of now with the 28th pick. And that's how it should be because it's not the combine hasn't happened yet. The Bengals are still evaluating these guys. And as we get closer and as free agency happens, that, that positions and those positions will narrow down and, and we'll be able to kind of pinpoint where they're, they're targeting and what we think is going to happen. But right now, I think they're pretty open and, uh, and they should be because I, I think that's the way you find the best player and we'll see it this year. I'm a big believer in Dax Hill. I know people question the pick then. I think it's going to pay off. He's going to have a really, really big sophomore season. Well, hopefully he's joined back there with Von Bell because I, there's no way, obviously, Jesse Bates is coming back here. But you can't have, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you can't go into next season. I mean, maybe you could go into next season. Who knows? I mean, the Chiefs had a very young uh, secondary this year, and they won the Super Bowl. But I don't think the Bengals, w w with the expectation level from within the building itself, forget the rest of us, uh, to have two basically rookie s starting safeties, I don't think is the uh, the perfect world back there for the Bengals. The last thing I wanted to, you know, you, you know, you know, the one guy, and I said it to these guys yesterday, the one guy I would take a long look at is Luan. Because, I mean, you know, here this guy's coming back from an ACL, but he injured his, if I'm not mistaken, in like week three. Guy's been a hell of a player in the league for a long, long time. He's not going to command huge money. Of course, all it takes is one team to give him big money. I don't know if he's going to retire. But that's the kind of guy, if I hear you right, if you're not going to go out and spend money on McGlinchey or Orlando Brown or somebody like that, which the Bengals I don't think are going to do. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But, but, but a guy like that. I think is is intriguing. He is. He certainly is because he's established in the league. I just, it's kind of weird, Tom, because at, at this stage, I think if you're older than me, the Bengals aren't interested. And, and that's, that's kind of where they're at. If you've had multiple injuries or you're a, a veteran on the wrong side of 30, they, they kind of shy away. And, and we've seen that even last year, you know, when, when they address free agency or address the offensive line and free agency, they weren't lurk looking at the Riley Reefs like they were a few years ago. Right. They were getting guys on their second contracts or a guy like Ted Karras who, yeah, he played in the league, but had never had a long-term 
second deal yet. And so we'll see uh, on, on what they do. They need to add, though. And whether it is a Taylor Lewan who I could get on board with it, but the injury history more than the age scares me. I, I think that they, they are going to address it somehow with a proven player. The problem with a guy like Luan, yeah, he is proven when healthy, but there's a big health question yep. mark there. And there already is at right tackle. And by the way, you have a health question mark with Jonah as well at left tackle. So I think that is, it's unlikely, but never say never. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do because there are so many topics swirling around with this franchise. Last question I have for you. When do you start seeing action as far as making decisions on some of these guys? You know, we saw Aaron Jones, for example, take a pay cut to stay in Green Bay. When do we see (laughs) things like, you know, Mixon situation? Uh, maybe Lyle Collins is different because you got to wait and see where he is coming back from an ACL and how soon will he be ready to actually get on the field. You wouldn't expect it to be the very beginning of training camp, but 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 who knows? When do you start seeing some of this this stuff sort of happen? Yeah, the the Mixon situation is pretty unique, right? And that Aaron Jones kind of gave the blueprint of, hey, I was really productive. I took a pay cut to to stay in Green Bay. I wonder if Mixon's willing, because if, if you're the Bengals, just value versus what you've got production-wise, I think you can make the case, all right, take a pay cut, stay around. We we value you, no doubt. So either take a pay cut or we'll find your production elsewhere. Are they willing to do that? That's a big off-season question. When do they make that call? I mean, it could be after the draft. You know, they'll probably approach – uh, Peter Schaefer, where they have a, a great relationship with Joe Mixon's agent uh, before the draft and, and certainly maybe before free agency. But if he's reluctant or, or they don't embrace that, which most of the time these players don't want to take a pay cut, it's a big pride thing. And I get it. Who does? Who wants to take a pay cut? Then they may wait and say, all right, let's see what we get in the draft and, and go from there. And, you know, that happened with Andy Dalton with, with Joe Burrow, right? And, and so that's kind of the latest one where Andy – uh, was on the roster until a few days after the draft. And then the Bengals said, all right, here we go. We're going to save this cap money. So we'll see there. As far as Lyle Collins, it's interesting. Do, do they try to go that route? Do they maybe restructure that deal a little bit? There's not a lot of guaranteed money on it, but the cap hit is there. Heck, we saw Trey Hopkins a few years ago get back in time for camp, but he clearly wasn't the same guy. And so you don't want to put that pressure on Lyle to, to get back in time for camp and have to start right away, especially with his injury history. You want him to to come back when he is right, if he is on the roster. So some interesting dilemmas for sure. We'll see if the Bengals restructure, are willing to cut. One of the, the most popular guys like Joe Mixon, we'll see. They, they have a lot of dilemmas, a lot of uh, debates to be had in the, the front offices at Pecor Stadium. Yes, they do. Well, James, we thank you as always for your time. Uh, very generous with your time. And we thank you so much. And have a great rest of your weekend. Sounds good, Tom. Appreciate you having me. James Rapine, kind enough to join us. And, boy, he is dialed in. Isn't he? I mean, that's some good stuff for us to to, to kick around. But we really appreciate him joining us. You know, he's been just so fantastic with his time. And and, uh, we really, really appreciate it. All right, Ham and Eggers, it's all yours. A lot of (laughs) coffee this morning. A lot of H2O. A lot of potty water. Got to run. All right. Sprint. Thanks, Tom. Mr. President, take it away. Ham and Eggers. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. 
All right, Casey. Well, we uh, we have definitely been talking a lot about the Bengals as we just did for the last uh, what half hour. Yep. So. Because we talked about the Bengals, that was all brought to you on the Bengals report by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Casey also set us up for this next shot. Let's take it, Casey. There is a new premium alkaline water out, and it is Pawnee. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also, quote, the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee water. Get your coffee from UDF. You see the coffee cup right there on the right. Get your coffee from UDF. Bet with Betfred and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. Brian B. wants to know what happened to the hangers on the door. Well, Brian, we had to have a little come to Jesus moment with all the hangers on the door. So those have been taken care of. Uh, <laughs> We just moved them from one side to the and other. And the come to Jesus moment means that they don't bang on the door anymore. They're just right over there to our left on the wall. I don't. I, I think we may have a monopoly on the southwestern Ohio hangar market. I think we do. I think we really do. There have to. At its peak, there were probably fifty hangers in this studio. Not yeah. as many anymore. Disposed yeah. of some of them. I guess they're disposable hangers. I would imagine. I mean, is that a thing? I don't know. Otherwise, like decomposable? I, no, they're metal. no, no. Like, well, what, what is he doing with them? Because we threw away a bunch of them. I don't know. He's a big wigger. Is, is Miss Brenneman really upset? She can't find any hangers. <laughs> we just got them all. They're uh, all here in the studio. Uh, yeah. So that is so that is all of our uh, our business that we've taken care of. Tom, the people were very concerned about the hangers on the back of your door. They're all gone. We, uh, we made use of all of them now over here on the left. And we got a tie over here, too, for whenever we have a, uh, whenever we have a special occasion. There's always just one tie hanging up. So, well, yeah, like a lot of people out there, um, you know, and I think I put my glasses somewhere. I don't even know uh -oh. where they are. Uh, anyway, the, yeah, I can't see a damn thing without them. Um, <laughs> Brandon, get on it. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Mr. Seho. Who's giving up alcohol, by the way? Oh, yeah, that's true. Proud of him. I've given it up for Lent. It's going to be a hard Friday night, boys. It's going to be a hard Friday night. <laughs> you throwing down tonight? What? I mean, I can't have any. I mean, I, I got a buddy of mine in a neighborhood who's lived there since we moved there in 2007. I've hung out with this guy, I can't tell you how many hundreds of nights over the last 15 years. Fire pits out in the backyard, knocking down some Coors Lights, whole nine yards. He's on his way, moving down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, so there's this going away party, just the boys for him tonight. Oh, boy. And I can't have a sip of booze. Oh. You and I might put Coors Light out of business. <laughs> That's right. Brandon says we might put Coors Light out of business now that we're not buying. Eddie. It's going to be a tough night, boys. 
I mean, it's going to be a tough night. Yeah, Nate. There's some good dudes coming to this thing tonight. I mean, it's going to be about 25, 35 guys that we all hang out together. And it's going to be happening. And you're going to be missing out on all the March Madness beer. All the March Madness. Oh, my You know, gosh. I, I, I was talking to the Lord and I said, hey, look, can we make a deal on this? And I said, look, I said, I started it a week early. Okay, a week before Lent, right? I'd be curious, some of you in the chat, let me know what your thoughts on this, okay? Our son is a senior in high school and we're going on spring break together, right? With a lot of different families, his high school friends and this kind of thing. We've organized this huge trip and there's going to be about 30 families that are going on this thing, okay? 30 families? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. It's really, guys, families, girls, families, they all kind of hang out together. And we've, we've, we've planned, this has been in the works for a solid year, okay? And oh, we, we did yeah. it with our daughter a couple of years ago down in Siesta Key and blah, blah, blah. So um, that week is the week of Good Friday and Easter, which of course, when Lent comes to an end. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and anybody else's for that matter. If I started Lent a week early, does God cut me a little slack if I end a week early? Well, it's all about the effort, right? You made the effort, so... Well, I, I haven't made the effort yet. It's been a week. It's well, not like I'm a drunkard. Borderline drunkard, but not a drunkard. Okay, where I don't have to... I never drink at home and stuff like that. I never, never even have a beer at home. The only time I will socially drink. But I'm kind of curious, if you start a week early, can, can you get a week on the back end? That's Holy Week, though. I'm, I'm well aware. Mm. Does that play? Well, you know why? That's Master's Week, too. And you know what? Everett says that's between you and God, Tom. Yeah. And then uh, Alex, a great point. Alex says, salvation through faith. No need for works, Tom. Okay. I want to hear some of these um, thoughts on this. Well. Ooh, this one hurts. Did Jesus get to choose when he was put on the cross? Ooh, mouse cow. Well, that, that, that one stings. That one really stings. Mouse cow. I'm in a dilemma here on this thing. I, I, I really am. I mean, I, you know, and I was talking with my son last night about it. And I'm like, look, I'm all in. He says, Dad, you mean you're going to this party for Mr. Green tomorrow night? You're not even going to have a beer with him? Well, he, he, he doesn't drink anymore. He hasn't drank for a long time. But everybody else there will be. Your son? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. This guy that's a going away party party for tonight. He, my son was asking me, he says, Dad, are you going to really go to the thing tomorrow night and not have a beer? I told you. I said, Luke, I told you. I'm giving it up. Um, and so I got to stand by it. Um, Okay. Good for you, Tom. Well, we'll find out if it's good for me and, and good for Brandon. Absolutely. Boom shakalaka. Does the Marymont, the powerful Marymont Warriors lacrosse program take a week off for spring break? You know what? They do. They get five days. And then there's something called a optional practice on Friday night. Better be there. It, Especially if you're a captain and you're, you, you better, captain of the you team, better, well, not yet, but he will be. Um, you, you better be there. You better be there. There's no such thing as optional. No optional for Bill Belichick. So none for Steve Peterson. 
All right, so uh, there was a lot to digest there, fellas, right, with, with James Rapine. Yes, quite a bit. Uh, a lot to digest there. And look, I, you know, I, I just wanted to, I was curious, and maybe some of you were, maybe a lot of you already knew, and, and, and knowing our audience, uh, there, there are a number of you, I wouldn't be surprised if you knew every particular sort of detail on signing bonus and salary cap and cap hit and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I got to really dive into that sometime and start learning a little bit more about that. Are you a salary cap guy, Casey? Um, I I have tried my best to understand how contracts work and how they um, how they break down, what what it means to have a bigger signing bonus, kind of like what James was explaining. And it can be convoluted, but I think the best way to explain it, or the best way that I can understand it, is just by practicing it. Um, you know, taking a scenario in my mind, like the 10-year, $500 million contract that Mahomes got, and like 200, $200 million of that was guaranteed, you know, how much of that is a signing bonus straight up front? How much is that for the uh, um, on-the-roster bonus that you get? Um, I can't remember. That's not the exact name for it, but players get a roster bonus too there's a lot of different bonuses that you get throughout a season that factor into your contract um but yeah i I try to understand it just by breaking it down and um breaking down the numbers of specific contracts that have already been out um but i was actually gonna i kind of mixed my two thoughts together here i was gonna say that maybe we should do Monday, or it doesn't have to be Monday, but sometime before free agency starts, we can do a mock-up of the off-season together for a show because there are certain websites out there that try to replicate that. Um, one that I use a lot is Fanspeak. They take the off-season and you can simulate through the whole thing. Kind of like the athletic free, thing we were talking about. Yep, just like right. the athletic thing. Right. It's free agency, draft. And um, I use that a lot to kind of gauge where the Bengals are really at. It lets you renegotiate contracts, re-sign players, um, extend players. So you'd be able to do your Joe Burrow contracts, your T. Higgins contracts early if you wanted to. All those sort of things. And... Um, if we do that and we can kind of gauge how we're thinking, you know, because the way that was the one thing I thought was really interesting about James and in the interview that we just had was addressing your needs in free agency and then getting best player available at, in the draft. And that's been my philosophy the whole time. I just thought that their needs in free agency wouldn't be fully met in my mind. I didn't think they were going to find a – a right tackle that is the answer there necessarily. Yep. I think it'd be very, you're going to be very hard pressed to find a guy at a good price that um, you're not going to get into some bidding war for at the current moment. Um, there's just not a lot of tackle depth in either, either side. Um, and like I, like I said on a, our uh, show in the box lunch, and we had a conversation about what to do with the 28th pick, I said, Dewan Jones, because whether or not that might be a reach with his actual technical skills, 
I think the ceiling there is so high that it makes sense. Um, and I feel like you could get solid enough tight end depth in this free agent class. There's a lot of tight ends. You're going to be able to sign safeties, linebackers. Like I said, there's a lot of depth there. And you fill in your pieces that way. But I think you're on the side of best player available in the draft, fill in your needs in free agency. Am well, I well, well, look, that, you know, or? I mean, I, I like the example he used because I love the kid at Texas Robinson. I think he is just a, a phenomenal back. I love the guy. Yeah. So if he's there and, and the other guys you're referring to are off the board, the Michael Mayer, Smith and Jigba. Okay. Right. You like, you know, um, everybody likes different guys. you like Dewan Jones. Um, I just always ask myself the question, you know, as it pertains to the uh, tackle position. And I asked you, you guys this question the other, uh, maybe a week, week, two weeks ago. You know, are, are, if you believe that Dewan Jones is a quote-unquote project, and for those who don't know, Dewan Jones was a starting right tackle at Ohio State the last two years. He is this mammoth human being. He's 6'9", 300 and something pounds. I mean, he is, when he'd stand in the huddle at Ohio State, and obviously they got some pretty big dudes that play offensive line at Ohio State, including Paris Johnson Jr., kid from Princeton, who's going to be a top 10, top 12 pick. He was a starting left tackle. When they would just stand in the huddle, Dewan Jones is this much bigger than everybody standing there. But if you believe that he is a project, Do I think that Jackson Carmen could be better than Dewan Jones as a tackle? Now, Jackson Carmen did not work out well as a guard. But I thought he played pretty well at left tackle in the playoffs. He was really good against Buffalo. He wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. There were others that were bad, but he wasn't bad in the loss to Kansas City. Right. It's already now would be his third year in the league. You have an entire offseason to make him, if you want, a right tackle. Okay? You yep. play guard, left tackle after the injury to Jonah Williams last year. Now you can start right now, if they haven't already, in preparing him to be a right tackle because you don't know what you're going to do yet, or maybe they do know and haven't made it public. You don't know what you're going to get with Lyle Collins or what they're going to do with Lyle Collins. So you've got a guy that's in his third year in the league who his position has been as a tackle left, albeit. I say to myself, okay, if it's Dewan Jones or Jackson Carmen, I think right now I'd lean to Carmen. I probably would too. I kind of like the way when we talked about this and, and what they were looking for in the postseason – what do you want to draft versus what you know you can hit on versus what you already have versus what you think you need? And what do we think the Bengals need right now? Well, they probably they got to keep Joe Burrow upright, but you can never hurt. And we talked about this on the box lunch on Wednesday by adding more targets, by adding more guys to give Joe Burrow the ability to get the ball down the field. He's got to stay upright to do that, but the offensive line that he's had or at least had this year coming down the stretch before everybody got hurt, was serviceable enough. I think it was good enough. 
plenty good enough. It was plenty. Once they got through the first couple of games, plenty good when enough. When you had Kappa, Williams, yep. you had everybody firing on all cylinders before they all got hurt. That was a line that, in my mind, was good enough to win the Bengals the Super Bowl. No doubt about it. Yeah, I agree with that. So, if you backpedal from that point, then do you go back out there with Jackson Carmen? Do you try and get Dewan Jones? What do you do? Or do you add another add another uh, target, another piece there for some sort of ability to get, you know, get the ball down the field? That's where I'd lean. Yeah. But yeah, I would like to just clarify too. If Michael Mayer is there, I'm all in on that too. Like if B. John Robinson, that that's the one that I'm not so okay. sure on. But I just don't think Michael Meyer, Michael Mayer is gonna get there. I think he's gonna get picked right before us. And maybe they trade up to go get him. I don't know. Like I it's really yeah, who tough. Knows, I, right. I, who knows? But to me, the most safe prospect in my mind that I know will be there at 28, more than likely, I feel like is Dewan Jones. Yes, I would agree and, with that analysis. Yeah, because Robinson's probably gone. Smith and Jigba is gone. Mayer's probably gone. Those are all probabilities, but, but a safe bet. Yeah, and so in my mind, if I know that going in, that's how I target. And maybe that's the reverse thought that the Bengals have. They're going to go attack what they think they, they can get in free agency, and that's what they should do. But in my mind... That's why I'm so on the Dewan Jones hype train, so to speak, is because I think he's going to be a very good talent, and he could end up being a bust, and then I look silly. But the Bengals, if Meyer's there, if Jackson Smith and Jigba's there, and I'm starting to come around to the idea of B. John Robinson, but I think it clashes so much with my philosophy when team building that I just can't do it at 28. But if you trade back, then we haven't even talked about that possibility. They trade back from 28 and acquire more picks to get more depth. Let's say they get at 37, pick 37 or 36. They give the Rams a first-round draft pick because they don't have one. They trade with the Rams. They get a bunch of picks. Or maybe they pick up a player off of that. Then you're looking at a spot where it's like, okay, well, it makes more sense to get a Dewan Jones at that spot. And now you have more chances to hit on other players throughout the draft and then we're starting to talk more in that realm of like going really deep into the draft and prospects which is stuff that i've been working on behind the scenes um to maybe eventually talk about later on down the road but well you know the whole mixing thing is fascinating because um look this guy's been a really good player here i mean he has been a really good player uh, it, w- it was two years ago he led the AFC in rushing yards, okay? I mean, we're not talking about some guy who, you know, two or three times in his career he's rushed for 680 yards or 810 yards or whatever it might be. And I know you can get into the yards per carry thing and so on and so forth. But he's been a really good player here. You look at the last two games they played. He was excellent against Buffalo. The offensive line... You know, much can be made about the weather, and it was. Uh, so the, the offensive line got great push against Buffalo. That was not a great defensive line without Von Miller, as we know. Um, and, and when Mixon touched it, he was getting four, five, six, seven yards to carry every time he touched it. But then came the Kansas City game. He's on the field for 23 plays. 
Samaj P. Ryan is in the game double that number. They fell into the trap in that game of not running the ball. Now, you can say it was because the offensive line wasn't very good and the injuries and all those kinds of things. That's fine. That's a fair argument. But they abandoned the run, and in games this year where we saw that team abandon the run, they were not nearly as good when they became pass-happy all the time. And it's easy with Burrow and Chase and Higgins and talking about adding a Michael Mayer or Hurst last year. You know, it's easy to fall in that trap. But look at Kansas City in the Super Bowl and against the Bengals. Now, they may not have run it for 150 yards, but when Pacheco touched the ball, there was something positive happening. They ran it enough. And yep. they didn't have nearly the number of weapons that the Bengals had. But they still found a way to run it enough. So, how much value you want to put in that position, I don't know. Can P. Ryan take that job? I don't know. If Mixon is not willing to come off and renegotiate that deal like Aaron Jones did in Green Bay, he's gone for me. D-U-N done. Yeah, I mean, I would... I'm a, I would agree with you on that, Tom. I, I would be done if I was the GM. I don't think they will just because he's such a good locker room guy. And Bengals are very loyal when it comes to their players. Um, I, I really don't know if I see them even attempting to, to even begin those conversations with Mixon. I, I, don't, I don't know what their relationship's like, but from just from what I've heard, Mixon is one of the main reasons why this team's culture is so good. Um, yes, he is, he is a team guy. There's yeah. no day. He's a passionate player. You can tell on the sideline that he cares about what's going on with his team and his teammates. I agree. That's a, a very astute point. Yeah, and I think another guy that people have us potentially cutting or trading or um, renegotiating the contract with um, – Maybe not as much as the Mixon point, but Tyler Boyd too. He's ten million dollars in the cap hit. I think this upcoming season, something close to that. Um, he he to me is a prime candidate for that re renegotiation conversation too. But he again one of those guys that they all love. Um, there's not really this team is just so uh, put together in a way, and the way that the Bengals. And their philosophy and, and, and these standpoints is just they're just not gonna make the team mad. That that's how I would put it. They're not gonna cut a guy that's a team player, a captain, a leader. Yeah, but, but at the end of the gonna... day, I know what you're saying here, Casey, but at the end of the day, they cannot keep all of these guys. They might be able to for this coming year. But sooner or later, there's got to be a hard decision that's made. And, and does that mean a guy who plays with a lot of fire and a lot of passion, has been a good player for you for a long time, has to leave? They have to make these decisions. They may not have to be today. Now with Tyler Boyd, a little bit less so perhaps than Mixon. They're going to have to make some kind of call on him and talk to him and his agent like James talked about a moment ago. But when I look at the Kansas City Chiefs last year, I ask myself, why in the world, beyond this year, would you keep Higgins and Chase, both of them, along with Burrow? When you could package up Higgins down the road, not this year, because he's still under that deal, but next year, you can go find another guy that may not be as great as Higgins, but you can go find another guy. 
I mean, most people in this room, and you guys are hardcore football fans, but most football fans would have a very hard time naming me one wide receiver on the Kansas City Chiefs team. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, Smith, uh, Schuster... Nicole Hardman. Nicole Hardman. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, I mean, when you think of the Bengals, you know right away. Oh, Chase, yeah, yeah, yeah. Higgins, right? I mean, right away. Top tier, top of the line, both of them top eight, ten receivers in the league. So, you know, and I always say that because you have to protect the guy as the Chiefs did this year. He wasn't touched by a team that had 70 sacks during the regular season. You say, well, the field had a lot to do with that. I don't give a damn what the reason is. The quarterback, the best player in the league, Patrick Mahomes, was not touched by the Philadelphia Eagles. So if I'm asking myself, running the Bengals, is it more important to me to start throwing all this money at all my offensive weapons when I don't know if I can keep my best weapon healthy and on his feet to throw to these guys. What am I doing? I agree. They're going to go into the way it looks right now. You've got Higgins next year. You got Chase next year. Maybe they have Michael Mayer. Maybe they bring Hurst back. You got all these guys, Tyler Boyd, running around. But you're facing the same dilemma, slightly lesser extent, but for different reasons. You're facing the same, in this case, this year, injuries. Williams, Collins. You're now facing the same dilemma that you faced this time a year ago. We're about to give Joe Burrow maybe the richest contract in the history of the National Football League. And we are wondering how good our two tackles are going to be. But God Almighty, we got to make sure we have all those guys that can run down the field and catch a pass. I agree with you, Tom. I agree with you. I mean, whether the Bengals like to hear this or not, I mean, they got to do what works. And clearly, weapons, weapons galore is not the answer. That is not what's won Super Bowls. It's been in the trenches. It's always been in the trenches. Whoever has the better trench war, attrition, usually wins the Super Bowl. And... I can look back to probably 20 years, my whole lifetime, and that can still hold up true. Um, there's some cases here and there where it's been more about a Tom Brady or or maybe it's been like the first Super Bowl with Mahomes. But all in all, I mean, the Bengals need to get better at at, at tackle. They need to get better at tackle. And to me – just circling back around to it. If I'm Duke Tobin, I'm sitting there asking myself at free agency, if I get this guy and try to make a stopgap for Collins, it still doesn't really guarantee the future the next five years. Or it doesn't you know guarantee I mean? like, the next two years. Right. You've I'm got Jonah saying, Williams like, who you're not going to bring back at the end of this year unless he goes out and has a year that he's never had so far in his first four years in a league. Yeah. You're, so, I mean, you're circling back again on this next year. Right. 
and I'm done. I'm done with this conversation. I want to. I want this to be a strength. I'm tired of this being something we talk about every single year. Go heavy on it on free agency. Double down on it on in the draft. Get a guy that has a high ceiling like Dewan Jones, and if you hit on that, then we're not talking about the offensive line anymore. You know what I mean? Like it, it just. I think the. Uh, the idea is that we already have a whole lot of weapons. Like, we've got the guys on the roster. Why are we talking about cutting Joe Mixon? We don't have to. We don't have to do that, guys. Like, we we just hit one guy in free agency and one guy in the draft. The whole thing is taken care of. So, that's my thought on it. We've talked about this at nauseum now for about an hour now. Is there anything else? Well, I mean, we're talking about only the offensive side of the ball here. Yeah, well, there's a whole other side, too. I mean, you know, and, and then you get into the defensive line. That's a whole nother can of worms. Well, I mean, right. I mean, you know, it, 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 do you trust that? And, and I believe it has a chance. Do you trust that Carter or, more accurately, Osai? Could they become that guy who's able to get to the quarterback? Osai gave you flashes of that in the playoffs. And I'm throwing out the penalty. It's, it's tired. It's old news. Kid feels terrible. He made a mistake. It happens. Um, but can he be that guy? I mean, you're going to tie up a linebacker on a long-term deal? A linebacker? The way the game is played today, I'm not saying that, you know, it's not an important position, but okay. Pratt's a free agent. Logan Wilson getting a long-term deal. What's that money look like? Then in the secondary, you know, you got guys a little older, right? Getting a little older. You, you know, Awuzie's coming back from ACL. Hilton, year older, right? You got Cam Taylor Britt, young keeper. Okay. Eli Apple. Everybody believes he's walking out the door. There will be one team out there that's going to give Eli Apple some money, I think. Because he has played well. Not great, but he's played well. Better than most out there. And then you got the safety situation, which as it stands right now, Dax Hill, who was not a starter as a rookie last year, he got some playing time. And even when he played, you don't have a starting safety with any experience whatsoever. And all we're doing is talking about offense. I know. Von Bell, free agent, and Jesse Bates hanging in Atlanta, partying with all the Falcons guys. That's interesting. That's a conversation. I got no later, problem but, with that. But who cares yeah. who he hangs out with? No, I'm just saying it'd be interesting for him to be on the, the Falcons. But regardless of what, I understand what you're saying. I mean, there's a lot of holes on this team that need to be addressed. They got money, too. It's not like they don't have money. They have the fourth or fifth most cap yep, space. Yep. And a I'm, lot of people feel like that's been by design. Yeah. Uh, a lot of years, it's easy to take shots at a team, and the Bengals would be one of those teams in years past uh, where they're way under the salary cap, and you're like, geez, why can't they open up some money here and go spend it on X, Y, whatever it might be? But most believe that with all these new sponsorship deals as a team has had success, the new indoor facility, naming rights of the stadium, that they're building up this war chest, so to speak, knowing what's coming. And knowing the foresight that franchise has shown at least over the last three or four years, I, I believe that's probably accurate. That they know what's coming in terms of uh, a signing bonus uh, for the quarterback, uh, what's coming 
uh, in terms of you know long-term deals that they know are on the horizon, not the immediate horizon, but 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 certainly you know within the next two or three years with not only Burrow but Higgins, Chase. You know what, what do you do with some of these guys? So uh, the defensive side of the ball for me, Paul, they're still missing the guy to get to the quarterback. I was going to say the same thing. I I didn't have a ton of thoughts that you guys hadn't already shared and didn't want to keep hammering, but. I was going to say, it, it feels to me like the Bengals could really benefit from a top-tier elite pass rusher. It, it, I don't want to say it's necessarily hurt them that they haven't had it, but it feels to me like somebody who can consistently get to the quarterback. Like, think about how valuable a guy like Aaron Donald is, man. And, and I'm not saying that they need to go out there and find the next Aaron Donald. That's asking too much. But just go out there and find somebody who consistently every Sunday we, we can sit here and say, oh, they might be good for a sack this week. Yeah, I agree with that. I have one question to kind of tie a bow around this whole conversation because I really do feel like it comes down to, to this mindset. Are we all in this year or are we building for the future? That's the mindset you got to have. Are we trying to keep this together or are we going to try to go all in this year and let the – chips fall where they may well i think they're in an advantageous position to go quote unquote all in this year because you know again i mean james points out and all of us have sort of taken it for granted that this burrow deal has to get done this year right it doesn't have to get done this year so if you want to go out you know, this is just theoretically speaking, if you're a guy like McGlinchey, right? Starting tackle, San Francisco 49ers, okay? Notre Dame, number one pick, blah, blah, blah. If you wanted to just say, okay, you know what, Joe? We are going to take care of you, but give us a year. Because, man, we are going all in. And I mean all in. If the average tackle in the NFL makes, pick a number, 10 million, 12 million, whatever it is, 15 million, okay? Yep. Top level guys. You go to McGlinchey and says, we're giving you a one-year deal for 25 million. Now, I don't know if a guy would take that kind of a deal. We're going to give you a one-year deal, $25 million. And then you can become a free agent a year later. Go wherever you want. Right. Get as much money as you possibly can. Now, he would be rolling the dice because of the injury factor, but contracts are not guaranteed in the NFL like they are in Major League Baseball or in the NBA. I'm just saying, theoretically, thinking out of the box a little bit, yep. you could go all in to answer your question this year. You could, but you're going to have to pay the piper sooner or later. And right. how are they going to decide to, to pay the piper? Is it going to be long-term answer on the offensive line, which I give them all the credit in the world. Somebody made the, uh, the suggestion in the chat that you know, they, they, they've never gone out and addressed the offensive line. That's nonsense. They had drafted the offensive line last year. I mean, they brought in Kappa, they brought in Karras, and they brought in Lyle Collins. That's three free agent players that were really good players that you paid a lot of money to come in here and protect Joe Burrow. But you got to stop people. And that's what I thought was the best part of their team last year. With all the, help, the, all the talk of Burrow and Chase and Higgins and on and Boyd and on and on and on and on. The defense for me at the end of the year was the most valuable player on the team. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with you, Tom. Tom, the Reds play spring training tomorrow. Season starts. Is that game on television? 
That's a great question. That is a Somebody fair. asked that in the um, chat, if that game was on TV. Um, and someone asked me if I'm watching the game, if it is on TV, and the answer is not a chance. No? No. No. I'll be honest. I had a hard time watching spring training games when I was an announcer. Um, you know, you got the, the regular guys that, that get one at bat. Then a week goes by and they get two at bats. And then a week goes by and they get three at bats. Now, if your cup of tea is, and there are a lot of people out there where it is your cup of tea, of wanting to see young players and how they look in a spring training game, that, that's awesome. And, and you can get more than your fill on that whole kind of thing. Um, I'm pretty you know, sure. I'm watching a game. I'm pretty sure it's on Valley, but I don't know. I guess, so you're not interested in seeing the Reds' young guys, though. I, I'm not. I, I mean, I said it before. To me, in all my years broadcasting, I could care less about what somebody else tells me somebody what they're going to be and what they're going to do because nobody knows. Now, I will tell you this. I had a long conversation in this same vein with Chris Welsh last night. He and I had a chance to talk for about 30, 35 minutes on the phone just to catch up and, and so on and so forth. And my partner there with the Reds for the last 14 years. Um, he told me when you walk on to the Reds and, and they have, you know, for, for those of you that, that may know or may not know, you know, out in Goodyear, Arizona, they've got sort of a, you know, you've got the clubhouse uh, and then you walk out in the back where the fields are. And it's kind of like you see in a lot of local softball league, you know, sort of setups where in the middle you've got this tower where the, you know, the big wigs can go up there and sit and watch all four fields. And then you've got home plate right there converging around this tower uh, where you can have multiple players taking batting practice, taking infield, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Chris Welsh told me, he said, when you walk out there and watch the Reds players, the De La Cruz is the best player walking around. The way he moves, the way he runs, the way he hits, the way he carries himself, he said, when you watch that guy, there is no doubt watching him run around that in their camp right now, and I'm not saying he's better than Joey Votto, and I'm not saying he's better than Jonathan and whoever you want to pick. He just says you can watch him and tell this is a special-looking cat. Now, in his next breath, of course, he says, we'll see when he gets in the big league. But I think one of the big debates, and Chris and I got into this last night a little bit, is, you know, we saw this become a huge deal with Chris Bryant a few years ago, right? Bryant was the best player in all of spring training a number of years ago with the Cubs. He had more home runs. He had more RBIs. He was a number one pick. He's not going to cover off the ball. And to start the year to, uh, for arbitration purposes, you know, waiting on starting the clock to his major league service time, the Cubs sent him down to AAA Iowa and brought him up uh, in May, whatever that date was. You had to let a month go by. All right, what are the Reds going to do with De La Cruz? If you're them, 
And Paul, you play general manager here with me for a minute, right. or, or team owner with me for a minute. All right. Because this, look, I don't know if there's a right side or a wrong side to this debate. Okay. If De La Cruz goes out and has this great spring, and again, you know how much you want to judge in spring training, but let's just say all things being equal, he goes out there and he's everything everybody says he is. Okay. And he looks like, in spring training, the best player on your team. Are you going to go start that proverbial clock and bring him to Cincinnati for opening day and put him in the lineup? Or, knowing there's a chance he could fail. As a young player, a lot of GMs get wrapped up in that kind of stuff. Or are you going to say, hey, you know what? Get your feet on the ground down there at AAA. And in a month, we'll bring you up, which buys us some time for roster manipulation, for lack of a better term. He what would you do? He hasn't seen one pitch at AAA. No, he has not. you gotta, you got to send him to AAA. Why? The best, uh, the best hitter I have ever seen, the best right-handed hitter I have ever seen never played one game in AAA. Not one. Who's that? Miguel Cabrera. Best right-handed hitter I've ever seen. In terms of power, average, production, guy's a lead pipe cinch, first ballot Hall of Famer. The Marlins were thinking about that year when they won the whole thing in 03. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I want to hear your answer to the question I asked. I'll never forget as long as I live. I'm announcing the Diamondbacks games, and that was the first year the Diamondbacks were starting to struggle. Johnson was hurt. Schilling was hurt. They hung around for a while. But we go down to Miami, and it's about a week before the trade deadline. And all of the articles are, the Marlins have the kind of team where they look like they could be a serious contender to win a World Series. I mean, they got Josh Beckett, and they got you know all these guys, and, and they got it going on, Right? They got Pudge Rodriguez, and, and, and there's an article about all these guys that they should think about trading for at the deadline, established major league players. And then at the very end of the article, I'll never forget, whoever wrote the article said, and then there's Miguel Cabrera, this guy down at AA, who is just tearing it up. Would you forget about all those other guys and bring this guy up? Well, you know what they did. And they won the World Series. Now, we're not talking about the Reds winning the World Series. But I'm asking you again, if you're the general manager, De La Cruz. I mean, I, I personally would probably put him back down into AAA for at least the first couple of weeks of the season, first few weeks of the season. Because, again, you're, you're probably not going to compete this year, Right. I, but the flip side of that coin is: Do you want the positivity? Do you want the, do you want the, uh, do you want some sort of positive direction for the team to go forward? And Nick Herbie's made this point a million times. We're going to talk about him more in a minute. This season should not be measured based on the wins and losses of this team. It should be measured based on the development of some of these younger guys that then go forward and try to produce at a competitive level in the, in the 
uh, next couple of seasons. So what gives you the best opportunity for those players to develop and compete at the major league level in a year, two years, three years? Serboy Wonder points out in the chat, Jonathan India, Tyler Stevenson did not play at AAA. I mean, you get to AA, that's the first real level in the, in the minor leagues where you can get to AA and you think, all right, I can make the jump from here to the majors. You'll see guys get called up from AA to the majors. But coming out of spring training, would it would it not would it surprise you, Tom? I mean, it would it would surprise me, but maybe I just don't know enough about the situation. But it it would surprise me if he was on the opening day roster, right? Well, it's an interesting point that you bring up um, about you know how to handle this guy. He went what single A to double A last year, right? Yep. Okay. Now, in single A, he hit 20 home runs. He knocked in 52. He hit over 300, on-base percentage over 360. He goes to double A, Chattanooga. His on-base percentage is still right around 360. Hit 305. And in 190 at-bats, he hits eight home runs, 17 doubles. Right? Uh, So, he, he put up some good numbers. I think the Reds are in a little bit different situation. You point out, Paul, accurately so. We don't figure them to contend this year. But I would also argue that they are in, it's not even a debatable topic, they are in a, an extremely precarious situation with their fan base. Very. Okay? And sometimes that can precipitate things that you might otherwise not do. Kids 21. Yeah, it's not like he was, uh, you know, it's not like sometimes when you see some of these guys that come out of college and they, you know, they've played their college ball. By the time they get to their, you know, second or third year of pro ball, they're in their mid-20s already because they've already done three or four years at whatever college they played at. This is a different situation where he spent his professional, his baseball career at the professional ranks, not in college. So I just figure... If you're the Reds and you want to keep developing somebody like Ellie De La Cruz, um, I, I, I don't know. I would send him to AAA. I know the Cubs did that with Chris Bryant. I remember the day he got called up and how big of a deal that was. Um, God, it feels like yesterday, and it, it's been almost ten years, right? Yep. It's crazy how long he's been around. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just I look at that situation and I just. Uh, I, I would I would put him in AAA, but that's just me. I think there is an argument. I think I'm with you on that. I think there's an argument to be made, a strong argument to be made, that if he has a great spring, like you said, there because I don't think that fan momentum should be discounted. I I I seriously think that apathy with this Reds team and that where they are right now and where they have been over the last few years is a serious issue, and. Is there a difference in garnering a bigger fan base for the season by getting Ellie De La Cruz to the roster on opening day? There might be. And if you can bring in a few more fans, I mean, there is something to that. Whether you want to admit it or not, and you, you alluded to it, Tom, I think it's a great point. You can't 
you can't just keep this decline in morale and fan attitude and everything else like that. You got to do something to spark some interest. And a good start would help. A team that is not completely irrelevant on June 1st would help. Ellie De La Cruz might help with that too. It should be noted, I brought up the name and the situation of Chris Bryant. Okay? Yeah. In 2015, that was a year that they made the decision that they were going to start Bryant in the minor leagues, despite the fact that he had had the monster spring. Was it 15? I was thinking it was 14. It, is, it was it 2015. Was 15. It was 15. And yep. he played uh, 33 games down at the minor league level. Oh, no, pardon me, 33 at-bats, seven games. He only had to wait like two weeks. to get what It was still in April. Uh, but, you, but you bought like two weeks of that window, okay? And so they sent him down there, and he played seven games. They bring him up, and he ends up becoming the rookie of the year. He hits 26 home runs, 99 knocked in. They win the World Series, right? Isn't that the year well, they, they won? No, it? no, they won in 16. Okay. Well, they 15, the they had a good year, and they, they got it yeah. turned around. Yeah. So they had Javi Baez and all those guys and, and Rizzo and so forth. But the year before, Bryant started at AA and then played 70 games the next year at AAA. So, you know, De La Cruz went single-A, double-A last year. Bryant went double-A, triple-A before they made the decision in 15. I mean, the guy hit 21 bombs in 70 triple-A games. And there was very little triple-A games. There was very little debate as to whether or not he was ready for the big leagues, especially when he showed up for spring training the next year. He and, was older, though, yeah, in fairness there, too. And there's there's an example that's near and dear to my heart with Juan Soto. And I remember back what, uh, 2018, I'd have to look, 20, 2018, um, when he got called up to the major leagues. I mean, he never played in AAA. And I remember when he got to AA. So the Nationals farm system, the AA team is in Harrisburg, the Harrisburg Senators. Senators play on an island in Harrisburg in the middle of a, in the middle of a river. It's this little island. And uh, unbelievable, Harris, the Harrisburg Senators. You've been there. I've seen the pictures of it. Yeah, yeah. I called a few games there. It's a, it's kind of a wild scene. It's it just, really is. It's, it's a island. You drive across a bridge, and there's just an island in the middle of a river, and it's just big enough for the stadium. That's right. It's just big enough for the stadium yep. and the parking lot, and that's it. Like a little, maybe like a putt putt course or something else, like a little amusement thing, and that's it. You get right back on the bridge, you leave. Anyway, point is. Juan Soto got to Harrisburg, tiny little town. Well, tiny little town. It's capital of Pennsylvania. It's a, it's a big enough town, but you get my point. He gets, to, he gets to Harrisburg. He's sleeping on a cot in, I guess, you know, another player's apartment, whatever, in Harrisburg. Guy goes, man, don't you want a bed? Like, you just got here. I can help you out. He turned around. He goes, don't worry. I'm not here long. He was only there a week. Got called up to the major leagues. Rest is history. Went from being the low A player of the month to being the rookie of the year in the uh, in the same season. I think he won the rookie of the year, or else he was in. I think he won. He did. I, I think that. And now all of a sudden, he's talking about getting out of a deal in San Diego. Or was that uh, was who was that? There's him? no way. Soto. No, I, I mean, or maybe it was Machado. One or the other might have been Machado. I, there's was no... saying they're going to opt out at the end of this year. No, no, uh, no, no, that wouldn't be Soto. Soto just signed it last year. It might be Machado, though. 
Yeah, somebody one of those guys Tatis? had made the uh, the cut. No, 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 because he's yeah. coming back. He's going to be suspended. Yeah, still for a long time this year. Um, going into this season, carrying over it, it, from last yeah, year. Yeah, it was it was it was Machado. Yeah, yeah. talking about opting out at the end of this year, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. and becoming a free agent again. Yeah, I don't understand that whole thing. I I I just don't understand how teams sign guys to long term contracts. When the team is willing to uh, spend and commit that kind of money and then allow the player to get out of the contract, you're committing to the player, and by giving that to a player or if he's asking for that in a deal, the player's not committing to you. Now, in some cases, if the guy, you know, look, let's face it, it's only a win for the player. It's never a win for the team because if the player gets hurt, right, you still owe him all that money from that long-term contract you signed and that you gave him. But if the player plays great, and after the third year of a seven- or eight-year deal, he can become a free agent again, where's the win in that for the team? I've just I've never understood that. All right, is there anything else we need to clean up before we call it a day here, boys? Uh, we have box lunch. And by the way, Brian reminds me, Tatis can come back on April the 20th. So, Brian, that's roughly almost a month full of games. Don't they start in March? End of March. End of March. So, I mean, yeah. he's going to miss 20, 25 games at least. Okay. Uh, so, what are you getting ready to say? Forgive me. No, I, I was just going to say we have got box lunch coming up here in a few minutes um, right after this is done. And uh, – I think we've pretty much covered everything we wanted to talk about today. It's just been – it's going to be pack weekend, college basketball, and then get into conference tournament next week. March Madness is a week away. Yeah, Reed Mouse reminded me when I walked in and said, hey, what's going on in, uh, in, in high school hoops? Big weekend. Reed said, well, it's a tournament. <sighs> Boy, there's breaking news. High school basketball tournament? Yeah well underway mm. and he's telling me well it's a high school tournament you know well i'm aware of that so thank you very much for that breaking news marymont warriors tonight taking on summit country day mm. those elitist those elitist right in the middle of that highfalutin neighborhood down there right around hyde park whatever it is Against the public school guys. Real men. <laughs> so that's a game tonight. There are a lot of other good games. It's going to be fun to watch uh, the high school basketball tournament last year. We were able to broadcast some of that last year. We're not allowed anymore. Uh, it's a shame, too, because, man, um, when we were down there at UC last year for both Division One and a little bit of Division Two, and then we went to Xavier at Cintas Center the following weekend, Man, I want to tell you, there is some big-time high school basketball in Southwest Ohio. And, and Dayton, man, man, do they have some teams in Dayton. And the coaching is just through the roof. It, if you haven't been to good high school basketball games in a while, and look, probably wait till next week because you'll have um, a couple of games uh, this weekend. Teams will advance. You'll have one or two games during this upcoming week. And then next weekend, you'll start to get into those games where they play at either Cintas 
uh, or UD Arena or uh, the place at Wright State or Fifth Third Arena, man, I'm telling you, you can't believe how good – if you haven't been to high school basketball in a long time, and I had not until last year when we went down there with Chatterbox Sports, there is some fantastic high school basketball in this area of the state. There's some really good players, man. That Centerville team last year, although they should have lost at Centos. Can't remember the Dayton team. They got jobbed in that game. It was like watching a Xavier game at Centos. They did get jobbed. Yeah, it was tough. I sat in the stands for that one because we had done our thing, whatever it was. Basically, we were doing a radio broadcast. Uh, so I just sat in the stands and watched that game. Man, they got jobbed. Anyway, Centerville's good. Give them Center, credit. Center back to back state champs, I think. Are they not? No, they lost last year, but they've got a kid going to uh, IU. Yeah, the, the coach's son. Yeah. Cup. Gabe Cups. Yeah, Cups. Yeah. His, his, his dad, the coach, Brooks yeah. Cups, wrote a book. And I, I read that last year. It's a, really? It's a, it's a really good book. He's a good coach, good program. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. And Hugs was in recruiting the other guy. Where's the other big guy going? On that team, they Rice. had two big guys. Well, his, name was, his name was Rice, right? From uh, no, that's that's from the kid that he from, that from kid is from going Wayne. to. I had a Wayne. friend of mine that saw him play a couple weeks ago. Was talking about how great he was, left-hander. Yeah, guy can that's really the shoot. one guy I remember. Besides he was the best the big, player we saw. Besides the big guy from Walnut was really good too. Yeah, but and, that uh, kid was the best player, basketball. Yeah, player. Rice wise, yes. I, I agree. And they said that he turned down offers from schools like Ohio State and all these other places, and he's going the same place where Morant went. Murray State. Oh, Murray, Murray State. State. That's where he's going. He must have seen Ohio State play a few games this yeah, year. Yeah, not surprising. So, All right, do we have a cherry on top? Oh, we have a we have a couple. You guys were a talking. A couple? We have, well, this I, I just added this in. All right, let me Pause stop real right quick. There. Let me stop really fast. How did the, the, the locks? I can't remember the locks. I don't pay oh, attention to the NBA. Uh, Casey? Mine hit. Yeah, All mine, right? Yeah, mine hit. What was yours? Penn State against Ohio State. And mine was the Pacers. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, good. You guys are now three and five. Yeah, let me check what mine okay, is. Okay, so what's our lock of the night tonight? Uh, let me check. Let me, let me go back and You got to give a lock on Xavier, Paul. You got to step out a little I, bit. I, I can't. Tom, I Ken, Ken Sensi USA said, what about John Kitna coming back to coach? It's a, I, I was looking at that story today. I have not known John. I know he'd been around here for quite some time. I assumed that that was around the time. Were you still back in Cincinnati when he no, was playing? Or no, were, but I had, I, I had announced some bingo right. game when he was a quarterback. I remember he walks in. We had this guy, Pete Machesca, our producer, right? I mean, we give this guy shit about this to this day. Kitna comes walking in the room of our meeting, and he's got a hat on, which he used to wear all the time, with a crucifix on it. Yeah. Right? Religious guy. Yeah. Hold the and he wore it all the time. You know, just laid it right out there. First question Machesca asked him. said, oh, I didn't know you went to Holy Cross. And we're all going, oh, my God. <laughs> oh my god you did not just say that he did what was Kitten's reaction to that he just he he laughed he's, he seems like a decent guy although his son I that, that whole thing to me is whatever's going on he's got there. a he's got another son that's a sophomore that's already getting big like power five looks as a quarterback and he's gonna play at east nice so that's, that's I knew the guy who was the coach there going back to high school Haynes you know Haynes since he was 15 uh, all right, so what so, lock of the night? So, uh, my lock of the night tonight. Let me uh, pull it back up. Didn't get to these guys late. They got a big time show to do here. Nevada minus two and a half. 
at Fresno State. Oh, my and God. Okay. Night. And I'm doing a prop. Kawhi Leonard, 25 points. It's at minus 115. I'm bet Fred. 25 points. Yep. For Mr. Leonard. All right. So we have real, two really quick cherries on top. Actually, you know what? Use this as the cherry on Use this, what I just sent you, because I just saw in their rundown that they're going to talk about the other one. Okay. So, play this. So, this is, I talk, to, I talk to you guys a lot about high school basketball here versus back home and how it's been such a culture shift for me watching high school, like people care about high school sports here. So, this right here, we played this school. This is Montrose Christian. This is where Kevin Durant, Grievous Vasquez, all these guys, big time professional college basketball players, this is their high school. Play this video, Casey. Just play like 10 seconds of it. Look at this. This is where Kevin Durant, that guy right there, is on the, the guy with the ball played against him. He's on the Phoenix Suns right now. Look at this gym. This is like, this is like a, just a normal, you know, nothing crazy. Seats 450. Maybe. People. Maybe. Yeah, that's a big maybe. Maybe but, four hundred. I mean, I'm assuming here now, Paul. This is a small Christian school that shut down when the <laughs> the coach left this school, Montrose Christian. There's no seats on the right side. No, there's no seats on the right side. There's a stage on the right side. The all right, you can cut it, Casey. The and that's like a pat game because that was senior night. The coach left that school, and the school disbanded. What? Why is it like that over there? This. There's a lot going on in well, the D.C. area? Or? I, 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 well, I mean, wait a minute now. I mean, I'm trying to draw the equivalent because I live right around the corner from Miami Valley Christian. Yeah. Okay, very small school. Yeah. Their gym I mean, yeah. might not even be that big, yeah. right? So, I mean, what do they have, like 30 kids in a graduating class or something? Very small. And I remember, so I was on the JV team at that point in that, that season when we played them because that was from the season we played them. I was on the JV team. And I remember we walked in. And I was thinking to myself, God, we're going to get killed. And I walked in, and we almost won the game because the JV guys were just a bunch of scrubs like us. Sure. And the varsity guys were all the guys that had basically been brought to the school to play basketball. And that coach was a very famous high school basketball coach. Obviously, like I said, had coached Kevin Durant, Grievous Vasquez, all these guys. And then he left. He retired. Within a year, the school disbanded. That's how much basketball meant to that school. Tiny little school. But that school competed with, like, you know, DeMatha. Sure. The only reason I bring this up is because, I like, once a year, I check to see how my high school teams do. Like, at the end of the year, I kind of do, like, hey, sure. how, how did football and how did basketball do, like, right around this time of year? So the other night, I couldn't find a record. Like, I, I couldn't find any records or anything of how they were doing. But I saw that there was an article that they had applied to join the WCAC, which is Gonzaga, DeMatha, all these big-name schools, like, I mean, DeMatha has produced right. the, the most NBA players of any yeah. high school in the country. And, you know, you look at DeMatha and there's, you know, 500 people at the game, maybe, you know, 600 people. They, yeah. they, they can pack it in. But it's just funny, like, comparing. And I'm, it's not knocking it. I no. love the high school basketball. It's, I've grown to love it around here. It's just, it's just been in the last five years that, you know, broadcasting it and seeing the crowds at the games, you know, like, it's just crazy. So I, I pulled that video up the other night and I was sitting there going, man, you know, we, we, we talk about the O.J. Mayo thing. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, having to play in a different gym. Yeah. Like, Luke Kennard. Tom, did you get a chance to yeah. see O.J. play? In high, high school? school? No. High school. No. Oh, no. He's around here. No. No. He come well, back I just... Like when was he... But, but, no, he was... He graduated, like, 05. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I did not see him. No. No. Bill Walker should be also included in that, because Bill Walker was almost just as enjoyable, if not more, 
entertaining to watch than O.J. Mayo. Yeah, Walker Even was though great they player. both were. But I was around. I was old enough. You guys aren't old enough. I was old enough and covering at Channel 5 to remember Cape High School. Now, that's where Carlos Snow went. Vinnie Clark went. These guys, you know, physical phenomenal education. college football Cincinnati players. Academy of NFL, Cincinnati Academy of Physical Education. And, man, you talk about having it going on. I think they won like three straight state championships. Carlos was like, Snow was a leading rusher in the Ohio history in high school football. I don't think they lost a game for, for three or four years. And then Steve Sheehan, if I remember right, was the head coach. He left. I think he later went to Oak Hills, maybe some other places. Um, but I don't know why that school, it was a, it was a public school. Uh, but they had, oh, my God. Oh, mean, they'll, be, they'll never be anything like them again in Ohio high school football history. They it was pros a, all over the place. It was a public school. Public. I thought it was. I thought it was like an IMG Academy type thing where people were just. Were I just don't think so. I could be right. wrong on that deal, but they were they were getting kids to come in there to play football. That was just. I mean, it, it was just insane. They yeah, were we'll beating everybody, know. fifty-five to nothing, and you know, I mean, no matter who it was, everybody. Anyway, all right. What's on box lunch today, fellas? What's happening? Where are you starting today? Well, we're going to talk about the new show that's launching tomorrow with Kirby and Trace. And we're going to talk mostly, some Reds. Mostly all that knowledge base is going with to come Nick from Kirby. Kirby. Yes. Nick Kirby. Yeah, Nick Kirby. He, he knows more about the Reds maybe than Nick Crawl knows about the Reds. He's a big Nick Crawl fan. A- and a lot of people are. The My biggest. dad's a huge Nick Crawl fan. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I've come to realize that you get into these guys that are, are, are incredibly analytical. And I have nothing against analytics. I probably will be the ultimate uh, – opposite of Kirby and a lot of the things that he talks about from time to time. So maybe it'll be a nick and knack thing. It'll work out because there's times where I look at these guys and they're going through all these analytics about these minor league games. And with all due respect, I mean, it's 40 minor league games. I mean, are we going to sit here and are we going to act like this guy's the next coming of, of Derek Jeter or, or, or no more Garcia Parra because he's done 45 war xyz stats and i don't mean to make fun of it but it's just like there's times where i just like this is so inundating so i'm a little bit like i said on the on the contrary to that i heard you guys ellie de la cruz talk earlier but yeah tomorrow after the first spring training game which is i think the only one we're going to do um of spring training games we're gonna we're gonna go uh go on air and Chatterbox Reds. Well, that'll be cool. So, I mean, normally here in town, you have an option of, you know, like extra innings after the game, something like that, whatever it might be. Hey, why not come to Chatterbox Reds after the spring training game tomorrow? Check out Trace and Nick Kirby and talking about some of the things that are going on, not only in that game, but some of the players and so forth to keep an eye on and what the Reds might do, um, you know, as spring training moves forward. Some of the big storylines to keep an eye on. So, very excited about that. Before I leave, what's this Marty Bobblehead thing? So, Reed brought this up. We've brought this up. We're going to give Casey some time right now to do this. Casey, will you take your camera that you usually use for yourself? I know you probably already adjusted. I want you to zoom in on Marty's Bobblehead. And while you're doing that, we'll fill some time. But we've been wondering, how in the world? Well, that's not the Marty one. He's got to move over to the other side. Yeah, no, that's it. Keep going. Zoom all the way in. No, we're talking about that one. No, yes, Marty and Tom. No, there. well, the, Marty and Tom, but well, you're going to notice something, Tom. Is, it, is as that as far as, as it'll go? Yeah. We've noticed over the course of multiple shows that that bobblehead does not stop bobbling. 
Never. It never stops. Never I stop. don't know how it does it because you would think that, you know, just based off of science that we've been presented with, at least at the public schools where I went, that at some point that stops. Tom, that's the secret to a cleaner world, that bobblehead over there. Well, you know what? It's perpetual motion. It's, you know what? Actually, I think it's because of what's going on with North Carolina basketball that that is symbolic about his head getting ready to explode. <laughs> it just will it not ne- stop. It never stops, Tom. I, I, can you explain it? it <laughs> There's got to be some little wind thing over there or no. something. Maybe it's the hot air being blown well, by Well, then Casey why is it yours, Bobblehead? Because mine, look, mine, mine broke like, like, like I did. <laughs> he's trying. He's, he's look working. At that. I'm hey, just saying. Marty never hey. stops. All right, so ask the question, Marty, are the Reds going to be any good this year? Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Look at it. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Should they bring up De La Cruz? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Tom, All I right, saw, boys. What? Real quick before you leave. I saw, I was going through YouTube yesterday and i saw the first game that you and your dad ever did together yeah the reds when you're working with the cubs yeah and i watched like an an hour of it not an hour a few innings but it was awesome the first thing you said we're just gonna get it off we're gonna get it out i am gonna call you dad this entire broadcast and and you did every time you every time that was went back when major league baseball and they might be facing the same thing again here soon where they didn't have a uh where they didn't have a national television deal Right. The sport was in a very dark place. So baseball took everything in-house. This was right before the Sosa-McGuire explosion that sort of renovated the game again, you know, or, or, or reinvigorated yeah. the game again. But they had what was called baseball, I think it was Baseball Night in America or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And they had partnered up with NBC one week, ABC the next week. So they thought it would be a cute little idea, and it was awesome where the, the, the Cubs were in town to play the Reds. And that was the game featured on that Friday night. And he and I did it. It was cool. It was yeah, it was, it was really cool. Yep. I actually, I found that because I was going back. I wanted to hear some, because Sammy Sosa was my favorite baseball player growing up. I wanted to hear some calls of yours. Sammy. Of you calling it. You didn't, you weren't there for 98 because that's when the Diamondbacks started, right? Right. I was not there in 98. Okay. But I was there, I'll never forget the first day. Sosa was playing on the south side of town with the White Sox. So the Cubs were playing during the day all the time. So, you know, we'd have a day game. I'd come back home, get a few things done. I'm single, living downtown, an apartment, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you get back in your you know, apartment later in the night and the White Sox would be on all the time. And so, you know, I'd turn them on from time to time and watching Sosa and he's a skinny, you know, raw, exciting player and, you know, hit or miss, right? You right. know, feast or famine, you're really young and first brought to the big leagues. Then about a year or two later, uh, the, the Cubs had brought in George Bell. They trade Bell to the White Sox for Sosa. Mm-hmm. And now here he is. And I was in Mesa, Arizona that very first day that Sosa took batting practice with the Cubs. And I did not realize, you saw him on TV, and he looked like this really thin, you know, like I said. But, but when you saw him in person, it was one of those deals where television didn't show off like the forearms and the veins pop. Right. This is before he got really big. But, but boy, he... Uh, I always really liked the guy. I thought I, I, he, he was a happy guy, and I always, always thought smiling. he was a cool guy. Always yeah. smiling. Always it's smiling. It's a shame the, the Cubs won't bring him back. Yeah. Well, why, it's like Sabo uh, why, the why, other day. Why do we get to this point where we just try to ignore things that are clearly exist? As Not just maybe the teams, but like, yes, there's the incident where he wasn't able to speak English, and there's the incident where – 
half the league or whatever that percentage was was obviously quote unquote cheating. Yeah. And I'm always on the side of, and we're not going to get down the rabbit hole of getting into this, but I am on the side of making that illegal. You have some people that are like, well, if they want to use it and they want to destroy their bodies, then who cares? Let them go. Well, then, then you bring in the moral question of, in order to compete with those guys, then you ultimately at some point have to do that. That's right. And that's the problem, yep. right? That's the real problem. It's not so much the guys that are destroying their bodies. That's been done in the NFL for, for decades, legally, by the way. Um, so it's just like, but at the same time, we can just call it what it is. There was an era in baseball that had something going on that was maybe outside of the natural elements that the game once had. You don't have to, as you said, completely can't, like cancel them or, or ignore them because they had this situation. They're a part of your history. Same thing with baseball in Cooperstown. It's like, at what point do we just try to promote the game and not worry about all the incidents that happen outside of just the game? Well, the, the issue you have, I mean, and you're right, we could go down the rabbit hole for hours sitting around talking about that whole debate and the moral argument and the whatever it else might be. When, when the players get to a point and you go to what's called the Veterans Committee, the Veterans Committee used to be made up of, after the writers give you a certain amount of time, you're on the ballot, you don't reach X percent, you're kicked off after a number of years to the Veterans Committee. The Veterans Committee is made up now exclusively of former players. Mm -hmm. And those guys universally are far more hardcore on this topic than anybody else. Right. Because the guys that are in there, perfect, absolutely not. Amphetamine use ran rapid in the 60s and 70s 80s. and early right. 80s without debate. I saw it firsthand. Um, and, um, but, but, um, those guys... You know, it'll be really interesting to see what's going to happen here moving forward. Now, will those guys, because they have been like more than arm's length of keeping those guys out. So what happens with some of these guys when they're kicked over to the Veterans Committee? All right, boys. Yep. Have a good one. Everybody have a great weekend. Case, Paul, Brandon, everybody, thank you. Great seeing you. Enjoy your party. Today. Muskies. Yeah. And don't forget Cal tomorrow. Cal. KY. Kentucky. It's a real man. Go Big Blue. Leader of men. All right, boys. Box lunch. <laughs>